Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Hey everybody, welcome back We have a lot of ground to cover tonight Yes we do General Soleimani's memorial bombed, casualties, death. The U.S. says they had nothing to do with it. Israel will take you to the White House for an update on that. And we're waiting. We're still waiting for the list, the Epstein list. We were told again today that it would be released today or at least some of it. We were told yesterday that it would likely be released, and then there were indications it might not be, and then it wasn't, and we talked about it last night, and here we sit tonight, and we are still waiting for the list. We will keep an eye open, and when it comes down, we will give it to you. And... If appropriate, we will go to the phones and you guys can weigh in on the conversation. Might talk a little bit again about the problems with electric vehicles and a guy actually blew his Tesla up rather than repair it. We have fake hoax bomb threats sent to state capitals around the country today. We'll talk about that too. And Vivek Ramaswamy. My assessment is there's a whole lot more going on there than meets the eye. Interesting fellow, Mr. Ramaswamy. I'm just, uh, more than anything, the events of the last few weeks and especially the last couple of days have just really piqued my curiosity. It's making me wonder what he is doing with his campaign, how he's positioning himself, and what this support for Donald Trump is really all about. We'll get into that maybe a little bit tonight, too. Hard to say where this show is going to go because we just don't know if we'll get that list. And if we do, all the plans that I have laid out could just evaporate. And we'll have to reconstitute, regroup, and take another run at the whole show. But that's okay, because we still have at least two, two and a half, three, four hours, however long it takes. We'll be here until we get through all the top news stories of the day. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. 
Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. First up tonight, let's talk about what's going on with this attack on the anniversary of uh, the death of Iranian General Soleimani. More than 100 people, it's believed, were killed in southern Iran today after explosions rocked a memorial event for the senior Iranian general. He was killed back in 2020, as I'm sure you are all very well aware, in a U.S. drone strike ordered by then-President Donald Trump. And you may recall when Trump did that, the woke left, the Democrats lost their collective minds and said that he shouldn't have done it. The media was quick to uh, support that position. Trump came under incredible domestic public relations attack. A media furor erupted over that. But over time, he flipped that around and the MAGA supporters gathered around Trump and uh, embraced what he had done. Interesting how the battle lines, even on these issues, are drawn so clearly in the proverbial sand. The first two blasts at this event hit at around 2,300 feet from the tomb of Soleimani in the Kerman Martyrs Cemetery. Note the name of the cemetery, the Kerman Martyrs Cemetery. that according to the ISNA, which is the semi-official news agency of Iran, it added that the second explosion was around 2,000 feet away. Now, immediately, no one claimed responsibility for the blasts. Approximately 140 people were injured. As we say, an estimated 100 were killed. Soleimani grew up in the city of Kerman, which is the regional capital of a province of the same name, and was killed in Iraq's capital of Baghdad. At the time of his death, he was among the country's most powerful leaders of Iran's secretive Quds Force, which was, is part of the Revolutionary Guard it's their job to protect and advance the nation's interests in countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Palestine. Iranian officials have denounced the explosions as, in their words, terrorist attacks. But there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty and a lot of questions surrounding this. Let's go to the White House where John Kirby 
is uh, has been providing information today. We'll pick up uh, his briefing and they will bring us up to date on that incident involving Soleimani and also what's going on in the Red Sea with Israel and Hamas, international trade, global unrest in general. Here he is. Here's, uh, here's John Kirby at the White House. You all know he had the chance to speak again with Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday. Mr. Sullivan uh, held a phone call with Israel's Minister of Strategic Affairs, Ron Dermer, where they discussed ongoing Israeli military operations and ongoing efforts to see if we can secure the release of uh, remaining hostages. The United States remains focused on working with a range of partners to help Israel defend itself, to surge humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza, and of course to defend our national security interests in the region. That most certainly includes protecting the free flow of international commerce in the Red Sea. To accomplish these goals, we have established and continue to maintain a significant force presence in the Middle East. This includes an aircraft carrier strike group centered around the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower with its embarked air wing of some 80 aircraft, as well as an amphibious ready group with its embarked 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit. That amphibious ready group, led by the assault ship USS Bataan, was moved into the Eastern Mediterranean in recent days, coinciding with the departure of the aircraft carrier Gerald R. Ford. Now, between the Bataan and the two other ships of her group, USS Mesa Verde and the USS Carter Hall. This consolidates in that part of the Mediterranean more than 4,000 sailors and Marines and more than 50 aircraft. An amphibious ready group with an embarked Marine expeditionary unit is capable of a wide range of operations. And because it is sea-based, remains a highly flexible option to any commander-in-chief when it comes to the potential use of force. These ships and their Marines are augmented by three additional squadrons of fighter and attack aircraft that are based ashore and additional highly capable warships at sea, including a number of destroyers that are specifically designed for ballistic missile defense. Some of those warships are operating in the Red Sea where they, alongside the ship's aircraft and capabilities of more than 20 other nations, continue to counter Houthi attacks on civilian maritime shipping. You've all seen in the last few, couple of days what these ships have been able to do in terms of knocking things out of the sky. All told, these US and coalition ships and aircraft contribute to an impressive array I'm sorry, an impressive air and missile defense capability, as well as robust intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities, not to mention offensive and defensive military power. As the president has made clear, the United States does not seek conflict with any nation or actor in the Middle East, nor do we want to see the war between Israel and Hamas widen in the region. But neither will we shrink from the task of defending ourselves, our interests, our partners, or the free flow of international commerce. That's why earlier today, we released a joint statement alongside 12, I'm sorry, 11 countries condemning Houthi attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea, one of the world's most critical waterways, and reiterating that these attacks must cease immediately. And just after we released that statement, Singapore came on board. So now there's 13 nations that have signed up to that statement. As we've made clear, these actions directly threaten freedom of navigation and global trade, and they put innocent lives at risk. This joint statement demonstrates the resolve of global partners against these unlawful attacks and underlines our commitment to holding malign actors accountable for their actions. Lastly, as you've seen, 
now, in, in addition to this uh, release, uh, well, I think that's it. <laughs> Take questions, sorry. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask about Iran. Uh, does the United States have any idea who might be behind the bombings there today? And um, secondly, does the U.S. think the killing of the Hamas leader in Beirut has significantly changed um, the strength of Hamas? So on your first question, uh, we aren't at a point now where we have a lot of great detail on uh, on this bombing. Uh, certainly, our uh, our hearts go out to all the innocent victims uh, and their family members who are obviously their lives are going to be forever changed by this. But we don't have any uh, we don't have any more detail in terms of how it happened or who would might be responsible for it. On your second question, uh, again, I, I would point you um, to. Uh, to our Israeli partners to talk more about this. The, the, we're, we're, again, not in a position to uh, confirm the specific reports. I would just tell you uh, that Al-Huri uh, was a noted designated global terrorist. And if he is, in fact, dead, nobody should be shedding a tear over his loss. Uh, I know you said you don't have any great detail on who was responsible, but can you rule out that Israel had anything to do with this? We have no indication at this time at all that Israel was involved in any way whatsoever. No indication, but just to be clear, you don't think, did they support or assist in, in some other way? Uh, I, I would, I'm not going to speak for another nation. I would just tell you that we have no indication that Israel was in any way involved in this. And given that this was the Soleimani anniversary, uh, did you have any intelligence that something was being planned for this day? We certainly had uh, no indications that there would be some sort of violence surrounding uh, the anniversary of his death. Uh, just to follow up on uh, the, the Lebanon issue, is there any concern that that particular strike might uh, expand the conflict regionally? Well, I would just say, Trevor, everything that we've done, in fact, the laydown I just offered of the force posture changes that the president has ordered in the region has been designed to prevent an escalation or widening or deepening of this conflict. Um, as we've said before, we don't want to see it widen beyond Israel and Hamas. And again, we're going to keep working with partners in the region to prevent that from happening. And then on the, the Red Sea, you mentioned that joint statement that came out today and that Singapore has added uh, their name to that as well. Yeah. Um, but that is just, you know, 13 countries total. That's smaller than the, the 44 that, um, that issued a statement in December. Um, and, you know, countries that you think would be on that list, like France, are, are not. Is there a region, reason why that's not a broader group of countries that signed on? I, 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 I mean, first of all, 13 other nations signing up to language like that, or 13 total nations, 12 others than us, uh, I, I think is significant. Other nations can speak for themselves about um, their decision making with respect to signing on to public statements. There are, as you know, many nations in, uh, that are uh, assisting us in Operation Prosperity Guardian in the Red Sea that don't want to be public, that are contributing capabilities, but they don't want it public. So I, I think you're seeing uh, an increasing number uh, of nations around the world, particularly as commerce in the Red Sea gets affected. And shipping companies are making difficult decisions about whether to transit the Red Sea and the impact that it's beginning to, to have on global commerce. Uh, countries are more and more becoming aware of this in increasing threat to, to the free flow of commerce in the Red Sea by the, by the Houthis and are increasingly um, being willing to express their, their discomfort with that. Uh, John, thanks so much. Is it the White House's view that the elimination of Hamas is an attainable goal? 
what we've said before is, well, first of all, the Israelis should speak to their military goals. Uh, we have said that we absolutely believe they have the right and responsibility to eliminate the threat that Hamas poses to the Israeli people. Now, they have said for themselves, Peter, that the way they're going about that is really targeting infrastructure, you know, tunnels and command and control nodes, as well as leadership. It is not that unusual uh, or different approach than we took ourselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, going after the leadership network. I mean, you can certainly significantly degrade a terrorist organization's ability to operate, train, uh, and conduct attacks by going after its leadership. You are probably not going to eliminate the ideology which underpins that group. And we've seen that Al-Qaeda, ISIS, other groups. So let me be clear, there is a difference between language the U.S. has used in the past with the language degrade, to try to degrade the leadership and the ability to attack. So does the U.S., just to be clear, I understand Israel's role in this, does the U.S. believe the elimination of Hamas, though, is an attainable goal? We believe that it is absolutely an attainable goal for the Israeli military forces to uh, to degrade and and defeat Hamas's abilities to conduct attacks inside Israel, they they can it can be done militarily. Are you going to eliminate the ideology? No, um, and are you likely going to uh, erase the group uh, from existence? Probably not. But can you eliminate the threat that Hamas poses to the Israeli people? Absolutely. Let me ask another question, if I can. We've been talking about the Houthis here. Um, we heard from Maersk and some of these other companies that obviously the big, the, the Danish shipping giant that paused its yeah. operations in um, the Gulf of Aden and in the Red Sea. A lot of other shipper, shipping companies are either pausing or rerouting right now. How concerned is the United States that these shipping companies may be pausing or trying to find other routes or revisiting um, that region altogether right now, given the impact it could have on the United States in terms of supply chain, inflation, whatever else. Well, if we weren't concerned, we wouldn't have stood up an operation in the Red Sea, now consisting of more than 20 nations, to try to protect that commerce. The Red Sea is a vital waterway. Uh, a, a, a significant amount uh, of global trade flows through that Red Sea. And by forcing nations to go around the Cape of Good Hope, I mean, you're adding weeks and weeks onto voyages and uh, untold uh, uh, resources now uh, uh, expenses have to be applied in order to do that. Plus, it's just a more dangerous journey. So obviously, there's a concern about, about the, the impact on global commerce. Is this a pocketbook issue that Americans could be concerned about, given the supply? We haven't issue? seen that effect yet. It would depend on how long this threat goes and on how much more energetic the, the Houthis think that they might become. I mean, right now, we haven't seen a, a, a you know an uptick or a specific effect on uh, the U.S. economy, but make no mistake, it is a key international waterway, and it can have an effect on the global economy. Thank you, Karim. Thanks, John. Um, to follow up on uh, the eradication of Hamas, does the U.S. know how many more members of Hamas are left to eradicate? We, we, we have estimates. Um, loath to put the numbers out there right now because they are just estimates. Uh, but uh, but Hamas still has a significant force posture inside Gaza. Is there any way you can characterize the progress that's been made in terms of percentage? Uh, uh, how how has Israel done, basically? <laughs> if, you're, if it's their operation, I've obviously been, you're keeping track of progress. I've been trying real hard not to give them a report card here, and I think that's a, a wise thing for us to, to do, is to refrain from analyzing and armchair quarterbacking their military operations. Uh, they themselves have said that they have 
targeted and been successful against a range of leadership uh, of Hamas, uh, certainly at the brigade level and higher. And remember, these guys are organized like a military. It's not just some uh, ragtag group of terrorists. I mean, they have a pretty sophisticated military underpinning and structure to them. And they've gone after quite a bit of those leaders. They've gone after a lot of their mid-range and lower-level fighters as well. I think I'm going to let Israel characterize how they've been doing, but they have, without question, let me just say this broadly, they have had an effect uh, on uh, Hamas's ability to command and control itself, to resource itself, and quite frankly, to lead their troops. And just one quick clarification on the airstrike in Lebanon. Is the U.S. assessing to try to determine who is responsible for that? For which the I'm not aware of any efforts of the United States to to assess that or to analyze that. We certainly weren't involved in any way whatsoever. Thank you so much, John. Moving on to Ukraine, first of all, just your assessment of what we've seen in the last few days. But then also there's a Newsweek report that the U.S. is going to destroy uh, several hundred, quote-unquote, expired attackums, which is, of course, a weapon that President Zelensky has asked for specifically. Can you confirm that? And is it possible that the U.S. could send those to Ukraine? And would that be a political decision or a military decision? I cannot confirm those reports. That's really a better question put to the Department of Defense. How about a lay of the land on, in the last few days, where we are? Well, I mean, look, just broadly speaking, in the last 48 to 72 hours, you all seen that uh, Russia continues to launch drone and uh, missile attacks, including ballistic missile attacks uh, on uh, targets inside Ukraine to include not only military targets in Ukraine, but civilian targets in Ukraine to continue to try to weaponize winter, to go after their infrastructure. I mean, so for all the ballyhoo that I heard in the last few days about Mr. Putin and some press reports that he's all of a sudden willing to negotiate, he sure doesn't act like a guy who's willing to negotiate. He's, he's doing everything he can to try to Put the Ukrainians on their back feet, which is why it's so important that this supplemental funding request that the president put forward gets passed. We have we have given now Ukraine the last security assistance package that we have funds to support right right uh, before New Year's, right after Christmas, um, and we've got to get support from Congress so we can continue to do that. Israel too. South Africa's filed this 84-page lawsuit against Israel, accusing them of genocide. Israel says that this is blood libel. Does Washington agree? And where does this put Washington and Pretoria? We find this uh, submission meritless, counterproductive, and uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, John. Um, what's, your, what's the U.S. assessment of the larger goal that Israel has set to eradicate Hamas? Is that still considered to be a realistic and uh, wise military objective? I, I think I just answered that with, with Peter. Um, uh, we don't believe that military attacks alone are going to eradicate an ideology. Um, and it's not likely that you're going to get rid of every single Hamas fighter. Uh, so in that sense, I mean, you, you still have to, uh, you still have to reconcile yourself with the fact that there may still be some Hamas uh, uh, around, even when your military operation is over. That said, uh, what they, what they, they absolutely can do is eradicate the threat that Hamas poses to the Israeli people. And you could do that by going after leadership. You could do that by going after their infrastructure. You can do that by going after their resource. And we showed that with respect to ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda. It can be done. ISIS and Al-Qaeda still exist, but they are nowhere near the kind of threats that they, uh, that they once posed. So it can be done militarily. Um, a couple more on Israel, but... Uh, maybe this came up on Jake's call, but do you guys feel like you have any path forward on 
Israel's decision to withhold tax revenue from the Palestinian Authority? And then do you have any reaction to the Supreme Court and Israel striking down a judicial reform package that the Prime Minister put forward? I know the President has weighed in on it previously. Yeah, I don't have any update for you on the tax issue. Um, and uh, on the judicial reform, we are going to be careful that we don't uh, comment on the internal workings of a fellow democracy. What the president has said before stands today, which is, you know, we want to see that as a vibrant democracy, any changes um, that any governance changes that uh, our Israeli counterparts try to pursue are done with the broadest base of public support possible. And then, sorry, just real quick, uh, before the break, Kareem talked about the possible regulatory review of uh, the Japanese purchase of U.S. steel, but I'm wondering if there's a national security component to that review, and if NSC or any, if you're aware of anyone on the national security side looking into it, um, looking into. As far as I know, there's no updates to that review, um, and uh, and obviously anything like this. I mean, we carefully evaluate the degree to which there is a national security component, and we'll uh, we'll do that in this case. But I don't have an update for you. Okay. Uh, John, can you give us an update on the hostage? situation in Israel and the kind of the status of the talks with the Qataris and others to, to, to move that forward? Is it, is, it, is it the U.S. opinion that it's at this point pretty much stalled, or is there some hope of, um, you know, reviving that in the near future? Well, there's always hope, uh, and we're not going to stop hoping to try to get all those hostages home. What I can tell you uh, is that the conversations are ongoing, they're real, um, and we are pursuing them with the same sense of energy that we were, you know, a month or two ago when we were able to get um, uh, some 50 hostages out. I would tell you that I don't have any specific progress to report today, but we're not going to we're not going to stop talking about it. We're not going to stop working on it and we're not going to stop engaging our, our partners. Talk scheduled with McGurk or anybody else in the region? There have been ongoing communications. I mean, I don't have anything on Brett's schedule to speak to specifically today. I think you can expect that he will be, as he has been, constantly engaged on this, as will David Satterfield on the ground. But um, but, uh, but it's an ongoing conversation. Um, just following up on that, uh, John, when Prime Minister Netanyahu said yesterday that Hamas had given some sort of ultimatum on the hostages front, do you know what he was referring to? I don't. Um, on a separate topic, I wonder what you made of Hassan Nasrallah today. Um, we are not scared of war. Does the U.S. hear that as escalatory or pretty <clears throat> consistent with what we've heard recently? I think we're going to judge actions and not words. We haven't seen Hezbollah jump in with both feet to come to Hamas's uh, aid and assistance. Um, we continue to message privately and, of course, publicly with y'all that we don't want to see this conflict widen. We don't want to see a second front, front opened uh, on the north. We don't think that's uh, good for the region, certainly not good for the Israeli people. Um, and we're going to continue to deliver that message. Um, on migration, Denver's mayor this weekend told CBS that his city needs uh, arriving Venezuelan migrants to have the ability to work. Is the administration open to extending temporary protective status for Venezuelans who arrived after that July 31st date that you all set? I don't have an update for you on that. You probably should talk to Secretary Mayorkas and his team at, at DHS, but that's not something I would have uh, an update for. Thanks, Green. John, um, you mentioned the last package for aid package for Ukraine. Um, if there's no deal with Congress, what happens uh, once that's exhausted? I mean, will shipments of weapons just stop? They'd have to.
They'd have, they'd have to. We have, we have, the president signed out the last security assistance package for which we had replenishment authority funds. That's it. We need the supplemental pass so that we can provide additional security assistance to Ukraine. Now, there's always a, a lag of days, if not weeks, each time we sign out one of these packages. So the things that were signed out on the 27th have not all been delivered to Ukraine. That will come in, in, in coming days and weeks. But after that, absent supplemental funding, there, there's as there's there's no other magical pot to dip into to, to try to get support for Ukraine. So there's no other pools of government weapons that could be used temporarily and then refilled later. I'm not aware of any Band-Aid fix that can be done. I mean, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to get ahead of the decision making process here. I mean, we're going to do what we can to continue to support Ukraine. Um, but in terms of the kinds of security assistance that we've been able to provide and the frequency with which we have provided it every two weeks, that ended on the 27th when we submitted our last one for the year, the last one that we had funding uh, applied to. Thank you. A follow-up and a question. Uh, John, you just said that you have no indication that Israel is behind the assassination of Saleh Haruri. But Israeli cabinet ministers and Israeli officials are on the record saying that they are going to go after Hamas leaders. They're going to assassinate them just like they did in the 70s after Munich. So do you, do you dismiss what they're saying as maybe it's not the response to responsibility? Nothing to dismiss anything they said. I was asked a simple question. Do we have evidence that, that Israel was responsible for it? And I said, we didn't. Now, Israel, as I've said before, has a right and responsibility to go after the threat that Hamas poses, which means they have a right and responsibility to go after the leadership of Hamas. Now, as I've also said many, many times from the podium, we expect that they'll do that in accordance with international law. The question yesterday, the State Department condemned um, statement of two Israeli cabinet ministers calling for the displacement of Palestinians. Yeah. And I'm sure that's a position of the White House as well. It is. But practically, how do you enforce that? You have so much leverage over Israel, apart from condemnation. What practically can you do to stop this plan? Because Netanyahu defiantly challenged the White House when it comes to state solution and other issues with well, first in soldiers in the northern part of Gaza. First of all, I think I don't think we can call it a plan. These are comments by two uh, cabinet officers. That doesn't constitute an Israeli plan. To... Okay, so we're going to pull out of that. And uh, getting... and um, I also want to draw attention to these reports that indicate the release of the Epstein list is being delayed until at least January 22nd because of a, uh, a court challenge from a woman who is seeking to protect her identity. So we'll continue to follow the story and I may be a little bit behind on reporting that today or this evening, but we do know that the release of um, all those names, at least 150, maybe 170 or more mentioned in these court documents will be released on a, a rolling basis. But the judge in this case is delayed or a judge has delayed the unsealing of two of the Jane Doe's until 
at least the 22nd, but the rest of the names will be unsealed on a rolling basis starting, well, again, maybe today, but still, again, not seeing anything coming down. So I'm really not sure where we're at with this, folks. I'm just uh, like you, sitting back, waiting to see what is going on, why we're not getting the the information. So I'm, I'm seeing two kinds of reports coming in here tonight. One saying that none of the names will be released until at least January 22nd. Other reports saying that we will still get some of the names released on a, on a rolling basis. And the two women, there are two women, I guess, as I'm seeing here from this information being sent in, that seek to have their names protected and their names won't. I don't know what's going on with that. So nothing will happen with those names until at least the 22nd. We might get more names, other names, some names prior to that. Not really clear from all these different reports coming in. And I don't want to steer you wrong on this. My, my take on what I'm seeing here is that we may get some names still before the 22nd. We were told again today when I was checking that we would get some names today. And I have not seen any of that again yet. And I can tell you too that if, um, you know, there are other reports saying that, you know, the globalists, are taking steps to prevent the release of any of these names still because it's going to result in some real embarrassment for some pretty powerful people, I think. Some real embarrassment. Alan Dershowitz, the lawyer who represented Jeffrey Epstein, um, has acknowledged that he his name will be on the list, but he says that it's simply because he was representing um, representing Epstein as a client. Here he is. Here's a clip of uh, Dershowitz. I mean, I've seen the reports all weekend. Everyone's saying that your name is on the list. Do you know for sure? Do, do you know if you're going to be on this list? Of course I'm on the list. I was his lawyer. I flew down on his plane to represent him in court. I was with him in court. I sat next to him in court. Of course I wanted my name revealed. I was one of the persons who moved to have everything revealed. What I'm afraid is that the judge has picked and chosen and hasn't revealed everything. I want everything revealed because if everything is revealed, it will prove what I have said from day one, that I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, the woman, Virginia Gouffre, who accused me, ultimately admitted that she may have mistaken me for someone else in case of mistaken identification. So I want everything out. I am not ashamed of anything I did. I was a lawyer the same way I was a lawyer for O.J. Simpson, the same way I was a lawyer for Klaus von Bülow, the same way I was a lawyer for President Trump. So, of course, my name's going to be uh, uh, in, in his files, but not in an incriminating fashion. We shall see. We'll see where it goes. If we get any names tonight, I'll I'll share them with you if we get any information. But right now, I'd say it's uh, not really looking that good. 
for any new information tonight, even though we were told we would get it. Um, back to what's going on in with Israel, Hamas, and the Houthis, the governments of the United States, Australia, Bahrain, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Germany, Italy, Japan, Netherlands, New Zealand, and the UK um, have issued a joint statement. It's a warning to the Houthis in Yemen. They say if the attacks in the Red Sea continue, the Houthis will be attacked. Here's a look at this statement. This is what they wrote. Here it is. I'll read it to you. A joint statement from, and I mentioned all these countries, recognizing the broad consensus as expressed by 44 countries around the world on December 19th, 2023, as well as the statement by the UN Secretary or Security Council, rather, on December 1st, condemning Houthi attacks against commercial vessels transiting the Red Sea and in light of ongoing attacks, including a significant escalation over the past week, targeting commercial vessels with missiles, small boats, and attempted hijackings. We hereby reiterate the following and warn the Houthis against further attacks. Ongoing Houthi attacks in the Red Sea are illegal, unacceptable, and profoundly destabilizing. There is no lawful justification for intentionally targeting civilian shipping at naval vessels, attacks on vessels, including commercial vessels, using unmanned aerial vehicles, small boats, and missiles, including the first use of anti-ship ballistic missiles against such vessels, are a direct threat to the freedom of navigation that serves as the bedrock of global trade in one of the world's most critical waterways. These attacks threaten innocent lives from all over the world and constitute a significant international problem that demands collective action. Nearly 15% of global seaborne trade passes through the Red Sea, including 8% of global grain trade, 12% of seaborne traded oil, and 8% of the world's liquefied natural gas trade. International shipping companies continue to reroute their vessels around the Cape of Good Hope adding significant cost and weeks of delay to the delivery of goods and ultimately jeopardizing the movement of critical food, fuel, and humanitarian assistance throughout the world. Let our message now be clear. We call for the immediate end of these illegal attacks and release of unlawfully detained vessels and crews. The Houthis will bear the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives the global economy, and free flow of commerce in the region's critical waterways. We remain committed to the international rules-based order and are determined to hold malign actors accountable for the unlawful seizures and attacks. And there you have that now. It is destabilizing. It is dangerous. I would like to see it end because it is, you start threatening the world economy and you are playing with fire. 
I'm telling you, that that is really going to get some people upset. You don't want to do that. Oh, they do want to do it, but you don't want to do that. <laughs> Bad idea. I mean, in my opinion. I, I understand they're upset. Don't do it. It ain't going to turn out good. Um, it's not going to end well. And we're just seeing so much escalation, so much destabilization. This, uh, you know, the other problem with this attack at the Soleimani Memorial is that even as John Kirby stands there at the White House and says the U.S. didn't know anything was coming, didn't know anything about it, wasn't involved, and had no information about Israel possibly being involved either, he can sit there and say that all day long, and you know what? A lot of people simply don't believe him. It's a big problem. The United States has a credibility problem. They have a public relations problem. Israel has a public relations problem. You get caught telling a lie, and people stop believing anything you say. And the United States has been caught telling lies too many times. In reality, every country has. The difference in the United States is we still have some degree of free speech, and so too here in Canada, the same thing. And that is one of the prices that you pay. Living in a, what's left of a democracy, such as it is, where you have at least some degree of free speech, I guess. Um, because even though we're getting increasing censorship, it's not full-blown yet. And as a result, um, you get, you know, a lot of dissenting voices in there and a lot of people questioning, rightly so, what the government is doing and calling out lies. So as soon as we've, you know, and it's not just the, the free speech, what's left of it now, it's the free speech we had before where there was a whole lot more of it and these lies were exposed, which is why <laughs> in the face of the you know, the expansion of social media government is trying to clamp down more and more and more on free speech. Or maybe control disinformation, misinformation. And there might, I mean, honestly, there is some, I can under, let me rephrase this. I understand why governments want to clamp down on misinformation, disinformation, information that just isn't true. But at the same time, you can't, you can't do that and have a free speech environment or embrace free speech as part of a, 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 a democracy. It's a double-edged sword. So as they say, the answer to hate speech or disinformation is just, it's more speech, I guess. I suppose, though, if you, it's becoming more complicated, let's put it that way. It is becoming more complicated because of social media, because of the ability to target people, because of the ability to manipulate people online. I don't know. Um, I'm still all about free speech. I'm all about freedom. But I see the pitfalls. I see the problems that we're running into. And I see that 
Western governments now because they've done some really stupid things. Locking people down, beating protesters at the Freedom Convoy, trying to beat people into submission, um, handing out tickets for, you know, gathering in public places, not allowing people to go into restaurants, sense allowing big companies, tech companies to censor people and kick people off social media platforms, all of this stuff engaging and buying the media essentially with government money to get them to parrot the government line. People now seeing that most of these, well, really just about all the mainstream media outlets are just have just become a mouthpiece for government. So government has no credibility now. So John Kirby can stand up there and say, the United States didn't have anything to do with this. And he might well be telling the truth. But a lot of people just simply won't believe it. Now, now, what is the truth? What's the point in even having a news conference? You can sit there and do this and tell the truth. People still think you're lying. You can lie and people will say, yeah, he's, he's lying. Maybe, maybe they should use reverse psychology and start lying about everything. And people will think it's the opposite. Yeah, we did it. Oh, no, they didn't. They're not competent enough. I don't know what the answer is, but something has to be done if, our countries are going to survive because you can't, I, I don't think in the long run, you can have that level of distrust. I, can, I don't think you can, you can lose this much um, confidence in public institutions and in government itself and, and not have it, have those cracks turn into, into, into giant craters and, and, and have the country just break apart and dissipate. And, uh, and end up becoming something completely different as a vacuum is created and something else rushes in. Something has to be done. Vanessa, this, this coming presidential election, is it going to make any difference? I don't know. Um, <laughs> these elections seem to make things worse because, again, people have no confidence in... Well, a lot of people, at least half the people, don't have any confidence. If your side wins, people say, yeah, it was fair. If your side loses, oh, it was all rigged, yeah, right? And it's not just Trump, man. You can go back. How many elections? You can go all the way back to the election of JFK. Even his election was contested, like, or thrown into doubt. Sayings, you know, many people think that it was uh, basically stolen from Nixon, right? So it goes back and way, 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 way back, these problems, but really amplified today. It is all this lawfare is being used against uh, Trump. It just amplifies things even more. And then Vivek Ramaswamy. I want to comment on, on him a little bit. You know, it's just, it's very interesting. I, I've just noticed how he has been positioning himself. Very smart guy. Very, very smart guy. And he is cozying up to the MAGA base like no other candidate. Backing Trump. I mean, it's a love affair. I don't know if it's a two-way love affair or not, but Ramaswamy certainly seems to be in love with Donald Trump. And I watched him on InfoWars today. And again, you know, pro-Trump all the way. Trump's awesome. 
but he's running against Trump. And in that interview, clearly positioning himself, not just as a potential VP pick, but more importantly, as a Trump replacement. Make no mistake, that is what he is doing. It's it's very interesting to me. There's some, there's something more going on here. Um, not I I it even it's a soft pedal at this point still, but I'm I'm certain that this is where we're at with him. Uh, he and I don't think he's alone on this. Of course, you want to become president of the United States, you need powerful allies, people behind you, um, a machine, you know, you need the money, you need the organization. I don't know exactly um, who, you know, who is exactly behind Ramaswamy. I don't even want to really speculate, but every candidate has people that you see and people that you don't who support them. Here's a, uh, Here's this tonight, NBC. Look at the headline. Vivek Ramaswamy argues Trump is wounded and his movement needs a new leader. Isn't that interesting? I think that's very interesting. Needs a new leader, he's wounded. And he said in the interview with Alex Jones that you know the deep state will never let Trump get anywhere near that White House again. And all this talk about they might kill Trump. They might assassinate him. And everybody's saying, oh, I hope they don't. But they go on about it. That kind of talk also very concerning. We're hearing similar talk about RFK Jr. as well. And if either one of those guys, if they get touched in any way, man, we have a powder keg in the U.S. And it wouldn't take much to set the whole thing off. You know, the whole country would just explode i think if either one of those guys especially you know it doesn't matter you pick either one and the conspiracy watch the conspiracy theories fly then probably never find out the truth about what might actually might actually have happened i don't know who knows what might happen i certainly hope nothing like that goes down but let's listen to what uh, ramaswamy was saying here on nbc because this i think and this is you know we're not going to run the whole thing but man um, like I said, he's, he's positioning himself, not just as a VP pick, but maybe as a replacement. Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you for joining us for the NBC News Des Moines Register interview series, Closing Arguments, Iowa. Good to be here. Welcome to the Des Moines Register newsroom. It's good to be here. So you completed yesterday what you're calling the double graph. So we're freezing the up there. We've seen somebody complete the 99 county tour twice. Um, but so far, if there's a groundswell of support for your campaign, it's yet to materialize in the polls. You said last week that you think you can win the Iowa caucuses. What are you seeing? What evidence on the ground do you see that the polls and the pundits are missing right now? Just you know, I mean, take our biggest event last night. It was pretty representative of what we're seeing across the board. 90% of the people who came up afterwards taking pictures, saying they support us, signing up as volunteers, are first-time caucus goers. So I think a lot of the polls are badly underestimating the level of support we have from college campuses, from libertarians, from conservatives and America First Patriots, but who have not shown up at a traditional Republican caucus before. And so if those people come out, and I expect they will, they tell us they will, they're very actively engaged with our campaign, 
those numbers are growing by the week, I think we're going to be very successful at the Iowa caucus. I am highly confident we're going to shatter the expectations that have been set for us. And I do believe we have a shot at winning the Iowa caucus if many of those people do come out. And so I feel very good about where we sit and we're excited for the path to the finish line. Well, you've been setting a lot of those expectations for yourself, um, you know, saying that you can beat Donald Trump, who right now is polling in the Des Moines Register NBC News Iowa poll at 51 percent. You're at 6 percent. Um, you know, what happens if you don't shock the world? Would you be willing to continue your. And freezing it'll. Well, I'll say a couple of things. I'm going in this to the very end and I'll tell you why. But if you look at a lot of that, even a lot of that polling, which I think is incomplete. Some of those recent polls show I'm the runaway favorite for the second choice to Donald Trump, which suggests that people are actually weighing those options very carefully. There's a gentleman who came to one of our events in northeastern Iowa yesterday. He was wearing a Trump 2024 hat. <laughs> he came to my event and then we were and he asked a question. So I you know, lightly called out in a in a jovial fashion. I said, I know it's the hat you're wearing. He says, yeah, I'm wearing the hat, but I'm supporting. So I think it needs to be somebody different. I'm convinced of that, but it's what this represents. And that actually spoke to me. It was interesting. And I just remember this because this was yesterday, but we see evidence of that across the board of people who absolutely do say they support Donald Trump. In many sense, I support Donald Trump and his legacy as U.S. president. I respect what his contributions are to this country. But when making the choice of who's going to lead our America first movement to the next level, that's a Sorry for the freezing, folks. I do think we're in the middle of a kind of cold cultural war in this country between those of us who love the United States of America and a fringe minority. Freezing again. Who hates this country and what we stand for. And when it comes to selecting a commander in chief, a general to lead us to victory in that war, I think I'm best positioned to do it with fresh legs as a leader who is not yet wounded in that war. And I do think a lot of people see that back in me as well, and we'll be making that choice accordingly on January 15th. And to that point about the folks who are coming to your events, I think you've seen that there are those who are coming to your events who are having a hard time letting go of former President Trump. There was a woman who attended one of your events recently who uh, actually stood and asked you a question. She was speaking about former President Trump, and she asked you, she said, how do we not go caucus for him? How do we not vote for the guy that they're trying to tear apart? It feels wrong to abandon him. And I think we've all seen that sentiment across the Republican Party. Do you agree with your opponent, Ron DeSantis, who has also said that Trump's legal troubles have fundamentally changed the dynamics of this primary? Given that the troubles keep coming and they keep boosting him, do you? Too much freezing. I have a different view on this than Ron DeSantis. I think he's looking at it in the way that a traditional politician playing and gaming together, how many delegates you collect would look at it. I'm looking at it through the lens of what's right for the country. And I think one difference, an area of difference where you see that is when they've eliminated Donald Trump from the ballots in places like Maine and potentially even in Colorado, I was the clearest and first and only one still to state that I would remove myself from those ballots. And I think that many people here appreciate that, but whether or not they appreciate it, that's the right thing to do, to say that if there's going to be election interference, not going through a legal process or otherwise, just one individual in a state like Maine deciding, waking up on a given day and saying that Donald Trump's going to be removed from the ballot, 
that's the wrong thing for our country. And so I stood up for that just as I was the first and only person to clearly stand up against these politicized prosecutions against Donald Trump. I think it's very different than Ron DeSantis, who's been focused on collecting delegates. Right, but all of that has helped him in this primary. Well, His numbers have gone up every time these legal threats have come as well. Look, I'm not a political analyst. I'm a candidate for U.S. president. But you with see a the, num- the same number as we do. Well, I'm in this. Dasha, here's my approach to running this race. I'm going to tell people who I am and what I stand for. Share my true convictions. Share it honestly without a filter. And my deal with the voters is you don't have to agree with 100% of what I say to support me. But what you know about me that's different than anybody else, I think, in American politics today, certainly in this race, is I will tell you what I believe 100% of the time. And I think that that's a longer sales cycle, right? I think that Iowans, you know, you know this well, wait until the end. They're very thoughtful about making their decisions. They're evaluating people almost as a job interview. And that's what this is. This is a job interview to be the next U.S. president. And I've not seen people anywhere in this country as thoughtful as Iowa about taking that process really seriously. So I think in the next 10 days is when a lot of those people will be making their final decisions. And my bet is they're going to reward the candidate who has been frank, who has been brutally direct with them through this process, not treating it as a political horse race analyst. The questions you're asking are fair questions I should ask to a candidate. I think most other candidates think about it this way. What's being reflected in the poll numbers? Is what I'm saying working or not? Adjusting accordingly. That's what traditional politicians do. Not me. I would rather share my true convictions and lose. Still freezing. Than to win by playing that political snakes and ladders. So I'm just not doing that because I think it drains my inner core out of me if I were to be doing it. I prefer to bring people use the word authenticity. What does it mean? Okay, so I'll say this. I I don't believe the polls. I will say that I think he's polling much higher than the polls are giving him credit for. I think he's surging. I think that um, I think there's growing support for him. He has not taken as much support from Trump as he would need to, he's positioning himself as a, as an alternative, the replacement, the pick me if that guy doesn't get it candidate. And as we're seeing, it appears there will be an effort to make this um, a sort of a two way race between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. And I don't understand why the Republican establishment is throwing their support behind Nikki Haley so much um, because she's underperforming, not doing well in her public speaking engagements, not uh, not very quick on her feet, not very witty. And um, very much um, a war hawk, which is very concerning, I think. So I don't know, guys. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm speculating here. I just, my political spidey sense is tingling. There's something else going on with Ramaswamy. Not to say that it's a bad thing necessarily or even a good thing. It's just something. You can smell it. You can feel it. It's right there in front of you in, in his words. 
Very, very interesting. The other thing is, you know, I'm still convinced that Trump is going to be the candidate. And it feels like a lot of what we're going through right now still is very choreographed. Even the lawfare, these attempts to keep him off the ballots in Colorado and Maine and maybe some other states. It's, it seems like political theater that... Is it even really to keep him off the ballot or is it to, to just generate more attention for him and in the end create more sympathy to make sure he is the candidate? Maybe the Democrats think... Biden can beat him, but maybe not some of these other potential challengers. Who knows what's going through their minds, if anything is going through their minds at all, if even they seem mindless at times, especially Biden. Now him, I'm not so sure he will be the candidate. I'm not so sure he has the, uh, the longevity for it. He's fading continues to fade fast. And even if he is reelected, I don't think he would be in a, I don't think he has it in him to serve out another four-year term as to get through the bulk of this year. Um, you know, less than a year to go until the presidential election. Now it's going to be one heck of a ride. Ramaswamy, watch that guy. That's the guy to watch. Not DeSantis. DeSantis isn't going to be the guy. None of these other guys are, are going to be it. And even Nikki Haley, not going to be, not going to be. Now, the other thing that I'm hearing about is there is pressure from within the Republican Party to put Nikki Haley on the ticket with Trump as the VP. And it looks like there could be some pretty fiery debates behind the scenes and even in public that will erupt over that. With some thinking that Trump needs a woman on the ticket, I can understand that thinking. And the other idea, I think, would be that if you put Nikki Haley on the ticket with Trump, she can then bring over some of those never Trumpers from the Republican side that Trump needs in order to win the actual election. And he may, he may need something like that in order to get over the hump with Biden as unpopular as Biden is, they have a machine over there, you know, and so many people just automatically vote Democrat because they do it out of habit. And they're just uh, on the other side of the equation. Their minds have been filled with anti-Trump rhetoric to the point where they think he is the second coming of the devil. That's where things stand right now. But just once again, watch Ramaswamy. That's the guy. He's the guy. And then RFK Jr., who knows where that all falls into place? A spoiler, a dark horse candidate. He'll pull from the populist movement too, but he's going to pull more from the left than the right, I think, in the end. More from the left than the right. And the attacks on him will only ramp up over time if he becomes more of a threat 
to Trump or ultimately to Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley, for that matter. But God help us if Nikki Haley gets into the White House, into the Oval Office. She, uh, some of the things she has said make me feel like she's very reckless, not well-informed. Too quick to pull the trigger or push the button, I think. Not thoughtful enough. Too emotional. You know, have you ever, have you ever seen inside these tunnels that Hamas has created in Gaza? Check this out. We've got a video here inside what um, we're told are Sinwar's tunnels, an extensive Hamas tunnel system stretching two and a half miles near Eras Crossing. These tunnels are equipped with mining-style rail tracks, which they used to have been using to move materials and workers, fighters. Yeah, take a look at this. I mean, in, in people's minds, as you know, when you think of Palestinians fighting back against Israeli forces, you, in your, you know, I've, I've said this, the, the first thing that pops into my mind is a kid holding a rock, throwing it at a tank, because that's the image that has been embedded in people's brains through information warfare. But the reality is something different. Hamas has incredible amounts of funding. They are not as poor as people believe. You know, it's the same thing with um, Al-Qaeda or ISIS. And people think that here in the West, people's minds are such that we, we have a cliched image of, you know, we had a cliched image of um, Osama bin Laden. Where was he? He was living in a cave. No. No, he wasn't. He was hiding, in, you know, here and hiding there and going up into probably Pakistan and then back down into here and over there. And he was in buildings and cities. He was just hiding. These guys don't just fight with rocks. They have, they have rockets. They have not rocks. They have rockets. Rockets. And guns and bombs and tunnels like this one. Check this out. What do you think it takes to build something like that? So this is apparently footage that was shot by Hamas and then covered apparently by
انا رحت الباب اللي قاموا بحرمان And this is uh, labeled IDF soldiers exposing the tunnel from inside Gaza. That takes a lot of resources, money, to build something that complex that takes engineering planning takes a lot of people takes time takes a lot of uh, construction materials and some pretty serious tunneling equipment that's not a couple of guys with a shovel that's an industrial military scale operation man Just uh, trying to give you some perspective on that. Pretty serious stuff. All right, let's uh, take a little break here. We'll come back on the other side with more news of the day. And there's lots of it straight ahead. The New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever Independent voices are needed Donate now at freedomreporters.com that's freedomreporters.com maverick news the antivirus program for your mind
I'm back. And if you are watching on Facebook tonight, you're not seeing anything because I didn't even hook Facebook up this evening. I didn't even try. Um, told by messaging from Facebook that we were on like a 90 day ban on Facebook. Then it looked like maybe the ban had been lifted. Um, they're all over the map with me on this. It looks like we can post. I don't know. We were prevent. We've been prevented from live streaming. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> I don't care. I care, but I don't care. You know what I mean? So it's like um, <clears throat> frustrating. But they've been throttling. They've they've destroyed Facebook for us. They really have. We used to have a really, you know, sizable audience on Facebook alone, but the censorship, the throttling, the, 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 the penalties, the suspensions, the inability to message people, it's just frustrated the living daylights out of me. So all I did tonight was I just, the, the censorship is off the charts. So I just posted a link to tonight's broadcast on Facebook. I may just do that from now on and just stop even giving them the content. Let them suffer the consequences of banning everybody. They don't have any news on there anymore. It isn't, the, you know, I've noticed that since in, in Canada, with the removal of news content from Facebook, it kind of, it's boring. It has really messed it up. All I get in my feeds now is Stuff about music, bands, comedy stuff, and, and honestly, things that I don't even have an interest in. It has messed up their algorithm. I don't know if Facebook ultimately will survive this. If this is the way they're going to conduct business and treat their customers and their product, we're the product they're selling. Um, I don't know that in the long run this will work for them because other social media platforms are going to come along and eat their lunch. They, they're going to take their business away. And so be it. Um, it's This sucks. The platform, really well designed, high tech, probably, you know, controlled largely by government anyway. But all this censorship, and the uh, the result of the government meddling in the operations of Facebook in Canada and Australia, uh, it's re it's really hurt the whole platform. So a lot of people still on there, but it's boring to me. I the stuff that they send me now, I, I've it's really cut my engagement. It is addictive, as I've said before. They kind of take you on an emotional roller coaster ride is what they were doing. They'd show you something that you really like, you like, you like, you like. Then they show you something that really gets you upset to get a an adrenaline rush going. And then you become more engaged. And then you want to comment on that thing and tell that guy to go screw himself. It's just not, it's just not like that anymore. A lot of the stuff they're sending me, it's just like I don't even have an interest in this stuff why why are you sending it to me it's because they don't have enough content so good luck facebook 
you didn't, you don't have us tonight. Um, but it just shows too, that we have a big battle on our hands in terms of censorship ahead of us, especially for a platform like this, where we have people on here with a wide range of views and uh, deal with controversial subject matter. It has a chilling effect on the way we report. It has a chilling effect on how you guys can speak. Even when, you know, during the call-in portions of the programs, it's a big problem. But we continue to fight. We're doing what we can. And we're expanding out onto other platforms like Wimkin, CloudHub, Gab. Um, what are the other ones? YouTube, Brighteon. We're on um, Instagram, which is Facebook. And I, that doesn't seem to be getting as much traction over there, but we're broadcasting there. And they have some sort of a weird problem too, where the feed cuts out after an hour. So they only allow you to, to broadcast for one hour. So we're off there already because we took up that hour. And Twitch, we're on Twitch. And uh, we're gonna keep on trucking here. And we have picked up enough audience on some of these other platforms to replace what we've, what we've lost largely on YouTube. Although, you know, at the height of our um, expansion, we were hitting about 150,000 viewers a night. And now we get a fraction of that because of all the throttling and censorship. And they've really just and the destruction of our Facebook pages. I can't even look, I can't watch maverick news on facebook because they don't allow you to look at it so i you automatically post to it but i can't even watch it in my own country what a mess absolutely ridiculous but we persevere we uh you know we're gonna keep on doing what we can and you can support the program at freedomreporters.com if you are inclined to do that, please like, share, and subscribe on all these other platforms, including YouTube. And when we do get back on Facebook, which could be tomorrow or it might be three months from now, I don't know. But yeah, you know, share it around if we're broadcasting there. We'll certainly use the platform as much as we can. I think we just need to start using it in different ways and not just outright giving them the, the, the live streamed content or even the recorded content afterward, just selective snippets or something. I don't know. But you can support us at freedomreporters.com. We certainly need the support. Or at maverickdonations.com. That's the Give, Send, Go account. And um, yeah, tonight I do have some of these Maverick News hoodies available. Freshly printed right there. So any donation of $60 or more, and I will send you a Maverick News hoodie. Just make sure you send me a note with your donation in the, the message portion, or you can email me separately. And to, to do that, you can just go to the website, mavericknews.ca, and just send me a message that way. Or you can message us at maverickmultimedia.com. Or sorry, maverickmultimedia at mail. Dot com. But it might just be easier to go to the website and send me a message through the contact form there to just let me know what size you want or just put a message in the donation 
message window when you do that. And I'll send you a hoodie. They're nice and cozy, warm, and uh, very comfortable. I love them. And you can put the hood up and snuggle up and cocoon in your, in your homestead. That's what I like to do. Uh, I like it warm, too. That's just me. And in the blustery cold winter that um, we are going to be having now between, you know, January, February, March, maybe even into April. And I have to warm up, just try and stay warm. It was a gray, sleety, rainy, crappy, overcast day of freezing rain and icky weather here today. I hate it when it gets like this, but that's what we're getting into now, January. Christmas comes, Christmas goes. People always say, oh, I wish it had been a white Christmas. And then within a week, it turns frosty cold. We get nailed with snow. The weather turns nasty. And the next thing you know, people are complaining because you've got the white stuff. And I totally understand people have this cliched, you know, got to have a white Christmas. No, I don't want it. Keep your snow. And it was an icky day today. I'm glad I fixed the roof yesterday while I had the opportunity to do that. Had a little minor roof repair to do out in the cold, but at least it wasn't freezing rain like it was here today. But anyway, that's what's going on. So, you know what else is going on? You know who else is getting kind of a frosty reception from the media and the public? King Charles. Yeah, he's facing calls to step down as king. Uh-huh. Here, check out this headline. Here's the Newsweek article on this tonight. King Charles faces calls to hand the crown to Prince William. And I'm told that an emergency meeting of the royal family is being held, that uh, King Charles has called this emergency meeting as a result of these public calls for him to pass the throne to Prince William. This all coming less than a year after his coronation. You know, he honestly, I have to say, King Charles doesn't even look happy as king. It looks to me like he just always looks like he's he doesn't want to be there. And talk about life in a fishbowl. People think that people in positions of power like that are happy because they have the power. When you're in a public place, you know, I don't know if even with all the money and his illusion of power, he doesn't really have that much power. But with all the money and the trappings, you're, it's like life in a, in a fishbowl. You can't go anywhere without a security detail. You have no real, you know, very little privacy. You can't just walk down the street on your own or someone might shoot you in the head. You're always a target as a leader. It's a big price to pay. So if you're not into it and you don't really want to serve your country, if you're not passionate, if your love of your country isn't you know, running literally through your veins, if it's not right in your blood, it, it would have to be, it would end up being an, an incredible burden. 
I think, to, to, to some people, and you would be miserable doing it. Even Justin Trudeau, he doesn't look happy to me. And it looks to me like he's, his, and I, I see, in his, in, see it in his eyes. It's like he, he's made a deal or something, and it isn't working out the way he had hoped. He's, he's not beloved the way that he was. You know, the honeymoon was over a long time ago, and now he's his best before date has long expired. And the public, they're turning, you know, the public's turning on him. And I don't think he likes it, but he is, he has a huge ego. And as we've said, as I've said, I think he's going to run again. He's going to hold on. He's speaking like that. But I, I, he's going to have a tough time. I don't know that he's going to win. We'll see what he's got tucked up his sleeve. Just keeps pushing all of his modern monetary theory, money printing. We're investing in the country. Let's have open borders. It's the world's first post-nation state. People accuse him of being a nationalist or a fascist. No, I don't think he is. Nope. He's not a nationalist. He's a globalist. He's a communo-fascist. Fascistic elements to his ideology and his way of thinking, I think. But mostly he's communist. Just, I laid all that out. The background with, with his dad. I mean, the ties to communist ideology are undeniable within the Trudeau family. Regardless, he's an authoritarian. He's absolutely an authoritarian. And uh, I don't like it. I don't like what he did during the convoy. I don't like what he did during the pandemic. I just don't like what he does. I don't like what he's doing with the economy. I don't like what he's doing with immigration. I don't like what he's doing with our economy. I don't like what he's doing with our environmental policies. I think he's misguided. And I think that uh, he's undereducated. never went into the job with the proper kind of experience to do the job that we need done in this country. He's a terrible manager. He's, um, I just don't think he's good for the country at all. I think he's the worst prime minister in Canadian history. Maybe he'll end up being the worst prime minister period and ever in Canadian history. I can't think of any, Prime Minister who has done more to tear the country apart than him. Didn't mean to get on that rant, but my God. What a damn disaster. You know, he keeps pushing, pushing, pushing too with this electrification of the auto industry. And, you know, I wanted to show you this. You know, it was just a... The whole industry is changing and the government keeps dumping billions and billions and billions of dollars into it. And I come back to the auto industry because it has been throughout the Industrial Revolution, all through the 20th century in, in, and, and throughout this portion of the 21st century. One of the main engines that drives the economy. In both Canada and the United States, especially and 
what they're doing with the electrification of the industry is they're literally destroying it and then saying, what a great opportunity for economic uh, growth. We're going to, because what they're looking at doing, and this is where they say the opportunity really lies. It's like, you have to replace everything that we have. You're going to replace all those automobiles. You have to replace, rebuild, retool all of the, um, the factories that assemble the vehicles, plus every aspect of the supply chain, all of it. Top to bottom, front to back, bumper to bumper. Refurbish the entire industry and build new infrastructure out for charging stations and everything else. And we're already seeing that it's not really working. Plus, January 1st, in the U.S., incentives on a lot of new EVs were removed because, get this, the Biden administration finally realized that a huge percentage of the parts that goes into electric vehicles is coming from, guess which country? China. So they have new regulations in place that took effect on January 1st that will require a higher percentage of parts in EVs to be manufactured in North America. Not a bad policy, really, but it's throwing a monkey wrench into things because now there were about 44 vehicles in total that qualified for uh, government subsidy in the U.S. of about $7,500, as I recall. And they no longer qualify for it because so much of so many of the components that go into these EVs, these models of EVs, come from China. How so they talk about revitalizing or you know economic expansion in North America, but the parts for the cars are coming from China. China, 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 China. Well, at least they're waking up and understanding now, especially in the, uh, you know, in this new multipolar geopolitical <laughs> global economic reality that, hey, maybe we should manufacture some of this stuff domestically. Not a bad idea. Let's bring the manufacturing back. That's how you get the jobs. Stop outsourcing everything to other countries. But now people who are going to the dealerships to buy these EVs no longer can take advantage of the $7,500 or better kickback from the government to buy the EVs that aren't selling anyway because people don't want them because they're not price competitive with gasoline-powered vehicles. <laughs> and the problem is so pronounced that we've seen just within the last month or so car dealers across the country writing an open letter to the president of the United States asking him to tap the brakes on the electrification of the auto industry because the vehicles, the electric vehicles aren't selling. They're sitting on the lots at the dealerships and those dealers buy those vehicles outright. They own them. That's the way the dealer networks work. So they're sitting there not selling, and the dealers don't know what to do. So they're telling Biden, hey, man, we need more time to build this whole thing out.
slow it down. And in Canada, with these new quotas coming in, this is an economic disaster just waiting to happen. And uh, you can see even articles like this one. This is from Inside EVs. So this is a publication that um, focuses on electric vehicles specifically. And they're right here. America's car dealers want to slow down on EVs, but for who exactly? Well, it's because they can't sell them. It says it's no great secret that on the whole, America's car dealers aren't exactly thrilled about selling electric vehicles. That's been true for almost two decades now. But even with the ups and downs that the EV market has had in 2023, that dealer trepidation doesn't square with all the trends that point to a largely electrified new car future just around the corner. And this is an opinion piece. And he's kind of criticizing, I think, the dealers for taking this stance. But I don't blame them one darn bit. You know, it's not really their fault. Dealers really literally respond to consumer demand, right? And to government regulations, government pressures and subsidies and incentive programs and so on. And so they were, there was a lot of hype around EVs going back, you know, especially a year ago, two years ago. Oh, they're really coming online now. They're really selling. Again, this is what you need to do. So the dealers did buy up inventory and they can't move it. This is a big problem. And the dealers don't really make anything, not very much, if anything, on the sale of new cars. I don't know if people realize that or not, but the margins are extremely thin on new vehicle sales. The dealers don't make that much on the actual car. You know where they make the money? Financing over the long run and service over the long run. That's where they make their money on the car. They're not just selling you the vehicle. They're the financing, and then they're going to make the money over time servicing the vehicles as well and the sale of parts, which is also why they're not thinking things through on these batteries. There's still no viable plan. In fact, there's no plan at all, no system in place to deal with the batteries, the used batteries coming out of these vehicles. The governments are not really dealing with that environmental disaster waiting to happen in an adequate way. Um, it isn't clear where these batteries are going to go, how they're going to be recycled. They can't just be thrown into a landfill because they're full of toxic materials. And Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, these environment ministers, these politicians, these bureaucrats, they simply have not taken the time to think this whole thing through adequately. Big, big problem. And in addition to that, if you need to replace a battery, as we reported on the program the other night, some of these cars, only just a, you know, a few years old and just coming out of warranty, vehicle owners are finding that they are having problems and they need to replace the batteries. And we've seen guys going to dealerships say, this thing isn't charging anymore. They get diagnosed, they get charged as much as $500 for a mechanic or technician to figure out what's wrong. They're then told that they have to replace the battery on their vehicle. And some of these 
owners have been told it will cost as much as $50,000 to $60,000 to replace the batteries. As a result, people are scrapping their vehicles rather than fix them. Because the vehicles, even after just a few years of use, are worth even, you know, maybe half that if you're lucky. One guy got $1,000 scrap for his car that was only, I think, about four years old. I wasn't going to spend 60 grand on a battery. And this isn't a new problem. This has been ongoing. This is a video from, I believe, just, what, two years ago? Posted a couple of years ago. Yeah, 2021. This is a guy in Finland. <laughs> Check this out. He had a Tesla. Same kind of problem. Told if you had a problem with the battery, took it to a dealer, a service depot. And by the way, you're not allowed to work on your own Tesla, you know. It voids the warranty or whatever. So they only want authorized Tesla service centers servicing your vehicle. So it's a different deal than if you buy another model of electric vehicle. Well, this guy in Finland, rather than spend twenty-two dollars or $23,000 on a new battery for his Tesla, he decided to blow it up. This is what that looked like. Just thought you might appreciate this. This is a, he hired a video production company to produce this video of him blowing up his Tesla rather than repair it. And that vehicle also only a few years old. <laughs> Holy Toledo. Or should I see you say, Holy Tesla. Oh, ouch. And you know, those things, even a few years ago, they're not, not, not cheap to buy. <laughs> oh, you got to cry. You just, just got to have you crying. But he did, he did get well over 2 million views on that video. So if monetized, he's probably doing okay. All these different angles of this car being blown to kingdom come. Wow. Not much left of it. Internet. Sorry about the freezing on the internet again, folks. I see that we froze up. Let's take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. 
We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. series of hoax bomb threats that came out today. And are we freezing up again here? Looks like maybe we are. Yep, freezing, freezing, still freezing. But we did have a bomb hoax. a series of bomb threats in at least five state capitals where people were evacuated, according to state officials and law enforcement. However, the information I have, at least the most up-to-date information I have here, is in each of these cases, no explosives have been found. In Kentucky, Mississippi, Michigan, you know, police there and in Montana, um, they all have confirmed that threats were received. The FBI says they are aware of numerous hoax incidents involving bomb threats. They say they take these kinds of threats very seriously because it puts innocent people at risk. And they say in this statement that we've received, while we have no information to indicate a specific and credible threat we will continue to work with our local, state, and federal law enforcement partners to gather, share, and act upon threat information as it comes to our attention. The FBI is asking the public to remain vigilant and report suspicious activity to law enforcement. In Michigan, state police have been using social media to keep people up to date and in Social media posts today, they say that the threat involving the Capitol building in Lansing was emailed to a general email account for the Michigan State Capitol Commission. That uh, threat came in this morning, and the message prompted the evacuation and search of the building. They also brought in canine teams, and they conducted uh, a thorough sweep but no threat to the building was actually found again. But you know, the nature of terrorism is simply to spread fear among the public, disrupt society, make it difficult to live a normal life. You don't really need to blow anything up. You just need to make that threat. And it's a terrible thing to do to people. But that is something that we have been warned about we're being told that especially in light of this escalating conflict between Israel and Hamas, that we can expect 
more terrorism on domestic soil here in North America in the United States and Canada. So we'll continue to watch this as well. You know, we're also seeing these swatting incidents in many places. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene was just swatted again. And that's also a dangerous thing. I'm told that even George Soros was swatted. And there were media reports outlining that as well. Shouldn't do those kinds of things. And here's the uh, Michigan State Police Twitter account where there they have been posting to update people. And as you can see right there, in response to a bomb threat made involving the Michigan State Capitol building in Lansing, we can confirm a threat was emailed to a general account for the Michigan State Capitol Commission around 7.45 a.m. today, Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. We are aware of similar threats. And it goes on. And this is where they talked about sweeping the area, the building. No explosives found. Elon Musk, always active on his own platform, X, and posted this today. And I just took note of it. I don't know how newsworthy it is, but we'll make it news. That's the strange power that you have as a journalist controlling the editorial content on your own platform. <laughs> news is whatever you decide it is. And in this case, news today is this post by Elon Musk, who says here, DEI, which would stand for diversity, equity, and inclusion. He says DEI because it discriminates on the basis of race, gender, and many other factors is not merely immoral. It is also illegal. Just a little food for thought. Think that one over, you know, I think he has those letters backwards or jumbled up there. What I'm seeing is people actually referring to this as die, D-I-E, diversity, inclusion, and equity, which given what he just posted about that and that receiving 3.5 million views is probably more appropriate and more accurate, die. I honestly believe that these progressive woke policies, this ideology, this identity politics, diversity, inclusion, and equity, as it is uh, woven into our society, our institutions, our schools, our companies, our workplaces, even our churches, everywhere our agencies, all these organizations, it's slow capture. And as a result, it's like, I think, again, some sort of a disease that is spreading through our society. It's slowly killing us. Scary. You know, credibility also, I mentioned that about John Kirby earlier tonight talking about Israel and Hamas, 
You know what else is, is a big problem? Lack of trust, loss of confidence in our healthcare system. And not just the healthcare system itself, but also science. Because it has been politicized, people no longer trust the science. I totally get it. I understand because the data has been manipulated in many studies regarding especially many medical things, drugs, new drugs in particular, and people don't trust things anymore. So here tonight, we see that um, new technology, new another new drug has been developed. And Health Canada has approved it ahead of U.S. approval on this. It's uh, Pfizer, again. No, you just say the word. And it doesn't matter what they produce. People are going to be, I'm not taking that. I don't trust Pfizer. Okay, I get it. Um, here's, you know, he, they've, they, they've developed an, a new drug. It's gene therapy, again, for the treatment of a rare inherited bleeding disorder called hemophilia B. And they've approved this. And it's unusual because normally Canada follows what happens in the United States. But on, in this case, they've, they've rushed this one through ahead of the U.S. approval process. And you can see that uh, it's right here. Canada's health regulator approved its gene therapy for the treatment of a rare inherited bleeding disorder called hemophilia B ahead of a U.S. decision. The approval was based on late-stage trials that showed a single dose of the therapy to be sold under the brand name Becvez was superior to the current standard of care, which involves replacing a blood clotting protein called Factor 9, according to the company's release. The therapy is for patients over 18 living with moderately severe to severe hemophilia B. If you don't know what hemophilia is, that's people with... Uh, you know, they're, they bleed. They can't stop bleeding. If you get cut and you're a hemophiliac, you can't stop bleeding because you don't have the clotting agent in your blood. It's a genetic um, thing. I had a really good friend of mine in college and university who uh, was a hemophiliac. And it was a tragic story, really. He, you know, he had to take blood transfusions all the time um, in order to infuse himself with clotting agents to, to, to live because very, very serious, right? If you get cut or you get into an auto accident and you are bleeding, you can't stop bleeding. You'll bleed to death if you're a hemophiliac. And you also suffer from fatigue a lot. You know, um, it's, it's a terrible thing to have to live with, but he would take blood transfusions and he would administer these things at home. And because back then he was caught up in, you know, the Red Cross sort of scandal of the day, this going back to the 1980s, where the blood supply was not adequately tested. It wasn't safe. It became infected with HIV. And a lot of hemophiliacs became infected with HIV because the blood that they were given was tainted. And there were lawsuits and it took a long time and that all unfolded. And now 
in the wake of the pandemic, um, even more erosion in public trust with our public health institutions. It's taken a long time for the Red Cross to regain a lot of public trust and people donating blood and things like that, you know, to get people to go back and continue to do these things. And it was about a year ago they changed the regulations for blood donors. They've reduced the standards again in Canada. Um, we drew attention to that here on the Maverick News Channel as well. I'm uh, very concerning to me, especially seeing what had happened to my friend, who shall remain nameless here, but years ago became infected with HIV because of the tainted blood. And that is something, you know, about a year ago, the regulations changed. So now they'll accept blood donations and they've, from people who are, who were previously considered to be in what they would call high risk groups because of their sexual orientation and their sexual habits and the kinds of questions they're asking people now are not as robust. So the standards have been lowered, in my opinion. I think it's a huge mistake and another disaster potentially waiting to happen. Of course, the treatments that people receive today, if you're HIV positive, are better than they were back in the 80s. A lot of people living long, much longer lives and full lives even when they become infected with HIV, but they have to go through, a, you know, I guess, and I'm not an expert on uh, the therapies that are used for HIV positive people, but uh, the treatments are much better. The drugs are much better. They, they understand things much better now. But the, the, the problem now is that it doesn't matter what happens people simply don't trust anything that's being said anymore. You could have a doctor stand up and say, the sky is blue. And people go, no, it isn't. I don't trust him. I don't think it is. I think it's gray. It's kind of, it's off. It's orange and he's lying. You can have a scientist step up and say, here's a new drug and this will cure cancer. Here's a new drug. It'll do whatever. It'll cure whatever, pick your disease. And people say, I'm not taking that because I don't trust it. And I don't know. I'm with you. Like, because they've undermined the integrity of science in order to promote political objectives or other politically related objectives, they've undermined public trust, man. You cannot do that with people. You see, that's why what the government did was such a disaster. What, what terrible public health policy they, they rolled out. And the consequences, it's those policies that, that are resulting and will continue to result in more deaths. I know people now who simply refuse to go to a doctor. They will not go to a medical doctor. They won't go to a hospital. They're afraid to go to a doctor. So they seek other kinds of treatment or they try to treat themselves. I don't think that's wise. I, I'm, I've always been very skeptical of doctors and the medical system myself. I've told stories here about some of the things I've done over the years to 
make sure that I research any kind of treatments that I'm being given and um, you're not going to find anybody more skeptical, well, more skeptical than, than I am. And I've gone to great lengths in the past to make sure that I get adequate quick care, but I do go to doctors. And I think it's a tragedy and a, an absolute disgrace what the government has done because they have undermined public trust to the point where people won't even go to a doctor, some people. And they subject themselves sometimes to treatments that don't work or they're, they're um, not taking advantage of treatments that do work because they don't trust them. And it's hard for people to know what the truth is anymore. To the point where it's like, well, any, any treatment now. You don't, you don't partake in it, right? So I don't know. Just going to take a look here. I'll be right back. We're going to check our newswire and make sure we're up to date on what's going on here. And I'll see if any of this Epstein stuff is uh, coming down the pike yet. So don't go away. I'll be right back. Hello, world. Are you awake? Uniting humankind by liberating millions of minds at a time. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, so it looks like we actually are going to get some information here tonight on the, the Epstein stuff. So I'm just collecting what I can. And I'm going to run a couple of little promos here while I get some of the information queued up and ready to rock. And when we come back, we'll get the dirty details on the dirty deeds on the Jeffrey Epstein file. Don't go away. Okay, still working on this. Almost there.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, let's do this together, shall we? So we have this. I'm not going to put that up because there's really nothing there. Okay. Lots of stuff coming in here. We've got some info. And where we're at, so. Here's this. I suspect this is going to be a little difficult to navigate through, but we will sh we will do this together. So we've got plaintiff's motion to compel dependent to answer deposition questions. And let me show you this. I'm not sure what that even is. This is an index outlining what these things are. So we know that these have been unsealed. Numerous court documents have identified associates of Jeffrey Epstein. They have been made available now. Some of the high profile, not profile names in these court documents include not unexpectedly, Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton. So these are just unsealed names contained in these court documents as part of um, Virginia Gouffray's lawsuit against Christian, Kislaine Maxwell, rather. Um, so these documents include excerpts of depositions and motions in the case. As we all know, he was convicted back in December of 2021 of sex trafficking and similar charges for procuring teen girls for disgraced financier Epstein, Maxwell was. So we do know too that two of the people here still, their names are redacted to Jay Doe's. Who else is on here? Now I know that there were some there were some barbs being thrown back and forth and threats of lawsuits from people saying, you know, so and so is going to be on the list. Speculation about this celebrity or that celebrity. And then these people firing back saying, I'm going to sue you. I'm not on going to be I'm not going to be on the list. Well, we'll find out. It's still early here, so I don't know. Where we're at with the actual list of names. So. Let me see. Here's something that I can send over and let's see what this is. 
by with our huge, with some help from some great people in the background here. Appreciate it. Here we go. Send this one over to myself. If it'll go. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want this. Come on. Send. It's not working. My apologies. There we go. Let's see if I can pull it out over here so I can get it up on the screen for you. Breaking news. Here we go. Computer is slow. Let's bring this one up. Okay, it's all ready. All right, let's look at this court document, see what it says. And get it up on the screen. There we go, finally. Let's see what it says. It says plaintiff admits she had, has made not allegations of Ill illegal actions by Bill Clinton, but spent time with President Clinton on the island of Little St. James. This is Gouffre. On one occasion, she adds Epstein did invite two young brunettes to dinner, which he gave on the Caribbean island for Mr. Clinton shortly after he left office. But as far as she knows, the ex-president did not take the bait. I'd have been about 17 at the time, she says. I flew to the Caribbean with Jeffrey and then Ghislaine Maxwell went to pick up Bill in a huge black helicopter that Jeffrey bought her. Wow. Here's a helicopter. Different life, man. Totally different world. She'd always wanted to fly, and Jeffrey paid for her to take lessons. And I remember she was very excited because she got her license around the first year we met. I used to get frightened flying with her, but Bill had the Secret Service with him, and I remember him talking about what a good job she did. I only met Bill twice, but Jeffrey told me they were good friends. We all dined together that night. Um, let's get into the nitty gritty, shall we? Gislaine was at Bill's left and at the left of Gislaine, there were two olive skinned brunettes who had flown in with us from New York. I'd never met them before. I'd say they were no older than 17, very innocent looking. They weren't there for me. They weren't there for Jeffrey or Gislaine because I was there to have sex with Jeffrey on the trip. Maybe Jeffrey thought they would entertain Bill, but I saw no evidence that he was interested in them. He and Jeffrey and Gislaine seemed to have a very good relationship. Bill was very funny. He made me laugh a few times, and he and Jeffrey and Gislaine told blokey jokes, and the brunettes listened politely and giggled. After dinner, I gave Jeffrey an erotic massage. I don't remember seeing Bill again on the trip, but I assume Gislaine flew him back. So no allegations here of criminal activity or anything illegal from Clinton. 
He says here, each and every part of plaintiff's claims regarding President Clinton has conclusively been proven false. Former FBI director Louis Frey submitted a report wherein he concluded that President Clinton did not, in fact, travel to, nor was he present on, Little St. James Island between January 1st, 2001, January 1st, 2003. Hmm. Okay. So let's pull this down. See what else can pull out of these documents. It's early. I don't think there's been enough time here to assess any of this really properly. And we already put this one up. As the court, so <clears throat> this is Plaintiff Virginia Giffray, by and through her undersigned counsel, hereby files this motion to compel defendant to answer deposition questions. During her recent deposition, defendant refused to answer numerous questions about allegedly adult sexual activity related to Jeffrey Epstein. Because this activity is highly relevant to this case, defendant should be ordered to answer questions about it. As the court is aware, this defamation case involves Ms. Gouffray's assertions that she and other females were recruited by a defendant to be sexually abused by Jeffrey Epstein under the guise of being massage therapists. See the complaint. Giffray described Maxwell's role as one of the main women who Epstein used to procure underage girls for sexual activities and a primary co-conspirator in particular in his sexual abuse and sex trafficking scheme in response to these assertions, defendant has made the sweeping claim that Ms. Gouffray's assertions are entirely false and entirely untrue. And then again, there's that, what I would call an index page, I guess. Let me see if I have anything better than that. Anything better? Hang on. Mm-hmm. See if I can share this over so we can get a look at this. Got a few people sending me material. Thank you to everybody doing that. Thank you, Lori. You're sending stuff here too. I see that. Thank you. Here we go. I should be able to grab this for a screenshot for you guys. Hopefully this gets us... This looks like the same stuff again. So, sorry folks, there we go. That looks like new material, add more thorough. Let's bring it up on the screen. 
This looks like a more thorough PDF. I think this might be the stuff that I posted yesterday on our website. And you can still get that batch of documents on our website. Just go to mavericnews.ca, go to uh, stories, and you'll find the, the Epstein story from yesterday with, uh, with all these documents there. Yeah. This is different. Are you able to see this here? Up on the screen, what are we looking at here? So yeah, this is the uh, the court case, and uh, background: the origins of this case line a decade-old criminal proceeding against financier Jeffrey Epstein. Procuring a person under the age of 18 from prostitution. The charges stemmed from sexual activity with privately hired masseuses. So we know all of that. What we are looking for here is the names. Discussion. You know, I suspect that these names are going to be sort of woven through these documents. I don't think you're going to see, well, maybe, I don't know. Just see like a point form list. I'm sure that people will be publishing a list like that. And I'd say the race is on right now to get a, uh, get reports out there where this information is reportable. And it's a lot to uh, try to absorb here on the air, on the fly, but I'm doing my best for you. And the computer's trying to catch up so we can continue to look at this document. Trying to speed read this for you. And it's actually Jane Doe's engaged in sexual activities or material impertinent. So this is talking about Maxwell and approaching. involved in sexual abuse and sex trafficking, trafficking scheme created by Epstein. Uh, they got to know each other. Keep on scrolling, keep on looking. Is there anything new in here at all?
Epstein, some plaintiff resumed her relationship with convicted felon Anthony Figueroa. How do you, how do you pronounce his name? Figueroa? Figueroa? I don't know who he is. In spring 2001, while living in, living with hostage, plaintiff lied, cheated on him with a high school boyfriend. There's so much information in here. Keep scrolling, Rick. Sorry for the dead air. I'm just, it's difficult to uh, keep talking and read at the same time if what I'm reading is not something that I want to verbalize. Statement on behalf of Gisley Maxwell. This is all between them, Maxwell and Defray. And Let me see, let me see, let me see. I'm going to check the chat here. Anybody got any info for us? Okay. Still scrolling. Tell you what, let me uh, let me just run a little transition here. Let me see if I can. Uh, well, that is rolling. Figure out a way to uh, summarize some of this information that is going to be more meaningful for you and more useful. Okay, so hang tough. I'm with you, and we'll get this information out to you. News. The world is watching. Okay, so what do I know? I know that, so we know that Bill Clinton was named in these court files as John Doe 36. And we know that there was one witness, apparently claiming Epstein, told them that Clinton likes likes them young likes young girls so there's uh 
information here that says in this interview with a witness says, let me back up. That's the question from the interviewer. Do you know if Bill Clinton was a friend of Jeffrey Epstein? And the answer is, I knew he had dealings with Bill Clinton. I did not know they were friends until I read the Vanity Fair article about them going to Africa together. Did Jeffrey ever talk to you about Bill Clinton? And the answer, he said one time the Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. Um, then more information here about Prince Andrew. Witness testimony also alleging that Prince Andrew was, according to the witness, cupping a girl's breast, an, undergirl, an underage girl's breast, and engaging in orgies with several of Epstein's victims. That's the allegation. Let me see if I can bring that up over here, that uh, portion of the document for you. Here's the witness. I'll show you that highlight right there. It says the witness, I just remember someone suggesting a photo and they told us to go get on the couch. And so Andrew and Virginia sat on the couch and they put the puppet, the puppet on her lap. And so then I sat on Andrew's lap and I believe on my own volition. And they took the puppet's hands and put it on Virginia's breast. And so Andrew put his on mine. And yet Prince Andrew in that interview said that he didn't even remember who Ufre was. Doesn't ever remember meeting her. Well, pretty embarrassing stuff. Um, so yeah, Prince Andrew, according to these witness test, eyewitness testimonies, people involved there say that Prince Andrew had an orgy with numerous underage girls on Epstein's private island. And people were never supposed to find out about that. And Jane Doe number three was first to have sexual relations with <clears throat> the prince, according to these witnesses. So this other witness, Jane Doe three, Testimony says that Jane Doe III was forced to have sexual relations with the prince when she was a minor on three separate occasions in three separate places. In London, at Giz, Ghislaine Maxwell's apartment in New York, and on Epstein's private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. In an orgy with numerous other underage Girls, it says. And here's another snapshot for you. From these documents, which reads, the government is apparently aware of and in certain instances possesses some of these photographs, perhaps even more important to her role in Epstein's sexual abuse ring, 
Maxwell had direct connections to other powerful individuals with whom she could connect Epstein. For instance, one such powerful individual, Epstein, forced Jane Doe number three to have sexual relations with, was a member of the British royal family, Prince Andrew, a.k.a. Duke of York. Jane Doe number three was forced to have sexual relations with this prince when she was a minor in three separate geographical locations, in London at Ghislaine Maxwell's apartment in New York and on Epstein's private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands, in an orgy with numerous other underaged girls. Epstein instructed Jane Doe number three that she was to give the prince whatever he demanded and required Jane Doe number three to report back to him on the details of the sexual abuse. Maxwell facilitated Prince Andrew's acts of sexual abuse by acting as a madam for Epstein, thereby assisting in internationally trafficking Jane Doe number three and numerous other young girls for sexual purposes. What else do we have for you here? There was another Epstein accuser also listed here, former Maine Senator George Mitchell, French model scout Jean-Luc Brunel, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, scientist Marvin Minsky, and this witness couldn't remember the names of some other people when asked. I'll bring this one up and show you again a snapshot of the uh, information from the documents directly. So there are some I think those are new names, not previously known. By Ms. Menninger. Okay. Name the other politically connected and financially powerful people that Ghislaine Maxwell told you to go have sex with. Answer again, going to tell you they. And then it goes on. It says, because that's how it went. They instructed me to go to George Mitchell. Jean-Luc Brunel, Bill Richardson, another prince that I don't know his name, a guy that owns a hotel, a really large hotel chain. I can't remember which hotel it was, Marvin Minsky. There was, you know, another foreign president. I can't remember his name. He was Spanish. There's a whole bunch of them that I just, it's hard for me to remember all of them. You know, I was told to do something by these people constantly, told to my whole life revolved around just pleasing these men and keeping Ghislaine and Jeffrey happy. Their whole entire lives revolved around sex. They call massages sex. They call modeling sex. So you can see that this was uh, a whole different world for these guys. Let me see what else I can dig up here for you. So there was this, uh, also this billionaire, Thomas Pritzker, executive chairman with Hyatt Hotels, 
also accused of engaging in sexual activities. On the island, I guess, or at these different locations. Hang on here, let me just, here we go, yeah. So this is the screenshot now of the document making reference to this billionaire from the Hyatt Hotel chain question. How many times you have sex with Tom Pritzker? Do you know what that question means? Answer, I believe so. All right. And what is the answer to that question? Answer, I believe I was with Tom once. Okay. Notably, witness testimony also noted that, what's this say? Okay, so here we're getting into Donald Trump stuff. What are they saying about Trump? Now, I showed you documents yesterday that indicated that would seem to exonerate Trump of any wrongdoing. Is that what these documents reinforce or contradict? Yeah, this is what I said yesterday, and this is exactly what I had reported earlier and showed you in the Trump, the witness referred to yesterday, said never actually saw Trump on the island. And I think maybe I lost my spot in these documents. So I'm trying to do this on the fly. My apologies. Yeah, and here's um, more about Prince Andrew. Another screenshot here for you. This witness making reference to the encounter with Prince Andrew says the witness, I just remember someone suggesting a photo and they told us to go get on the couch. Oh no, we already did that. Okay. <clears throat> My apologies doing this on the fly. Okay. This is pretty damning stuff for some of these people. Not looking so well. Some of these politicians. 
who else is implicated in this? So yeah, Trump. Did you ever see Trump at Jeffrey's home? Not that I can remember on his island. No, not that I can remember in New Mexico. No, not that I can remember in New York. Not that I can remember. All right. If you could turn to the second page and read through those. And that's how far that went. Um, so yeah, this witness saying that no evidence that Trump had ever been to the island. Now, over 900 pages here in this document that we're going through tonight. So much attention focused on this, so much traffic. I guess even the server where this PDF is available and has, we've got here, it crashed because of all the people downloading it. And allegations here as well coming from some people, including I think even Alex Jones, like I said yesterday, that uh, there's other information, other evidence that is being sort of hidden at this point, suppressed, specifically videotapes. And so as much as, you know, I'm doing my best to go through all of this for you here tonight, very difficult to properly evaluate all of this because we're dealing with nearly, well, well over 900 pages. And here's more from this document this evening. These are the new ones. So yes, and what I will do, folks, is if you would like to get your hands on this, I will post it on our website again at maverickNews.ca. As we conclude, after we conclude tonight's broadcast, I will take this whole thing and upload it all there, so that you can download it and have it for yourself if you would like. <clears throat> What is this exchange here? Farmer Jaffe, Weising, Edwards, Feisto, Lehman, PL. And question, I'm asking if they performed sexual acts. And there's a Mr. Bagliuca, object of the form of foundation. Question, did any of the massage therapists who were at the home perform sexual acts for Jeffrey Epstein? Answer, I don't know what you mean by sexual acts. Question, did any of the massage therapists who were working at the home perform sexual acts, including touching the breasts, touching the vaginal area, being touched while Jeffrey is masturbating, having intercourse, any of those things? Mr. Pagliuca? Objection. Form and foundation. To the extent any of this is asking 
for, to your knowledge, any consensual sex act that may or may not have involved you, I'm interested, I'm instructing you not to answer the question. Question, I'm not asking about consensual sex. Hmm. I'm asking whether any of the massage therapists performed sexual acts for Mr. Epstein, as I have just described. Answer, I have never seen anybody have sexual intercourse with Jeffrey ever. Question, I'm not asking about sexual intercourse. I'm asking about any sexual act, touching of the breast. Did you ever see, can you read back the question? Answer, I'm not addressing any questions about consensual adult sex. If you want to talk about what the subject matter, which is defamation and lying, Virginia Roberts, that you and Virginia Roberts are participating in perpetuating her lies, I'm happy to address those. I never saw any inappropriate underage activities with Jeffrey ever. I'm not asking about underage, I'm asking about whether any of the masseuses that were at the home perform sexual acts for Jeffrey Epstein. I've just answered the question, it says. No, you haven't. It goes back and forth. This goes around in circles, this questioning. Very interesting. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to duck out of this for a moment. And I think we will fire up the phones. You guys can uh, join me on this journey through the Jeffrey Epstein document dump. Maybe help me out even a little bit. Don't know. We'll see where it goes. Don't go away. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. individuals. Defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. 
Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, folks, almost there, just in the process of uh, getting everything set up here. I can see some calls are already coming in, which is great. I just have to get this set up so that it appears and it's integrated into. Our system so that everything works. Computer a little sluggish, got a lot of tabs open tonight. Gonna have to close some stuff down, I think. Get ready to call in. And And there we go. All right, I'm ready to rock here. I'll just throw the number up on the screen so you know what number to call. In fact, what I'll do is we'll run the uh, call now promo. Here we go. Join the conversation. Call 1-833-975-3733. That's 1-833-975-FREE. Speak up. Speak out. Make your voice heard. Maverick News. Fighting for freedom by defending your right to free speech. Be a Maverick. Join us. Okay, let's go to our first caller of the night. And here we go. Hello, sir. How are you tonight? Woo-wee, Ricky Walker. My prediction's coming true here for uh, the Ricky Walker Show. You got 454 people watching live. Oh, and that's just on Rumble, so that's great. That is fantastic. I said you'll be hitting those 600 markers uh, in the new year. And we're in the new year. Well, that's because we've so got... So the Epstein, Ep- yeah. Epstein list, you want to talk about that? I do. Well, Celtic Love, okay, in your chat, said something that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Don't look here, look over there. And 
you know, in your chat, I learned a lot of things from a lot of people in your chat, like PDS Paul or uh, what do we what do we call him? My ass. Don't block my ass. Uh-huh. Okay, that's his handle in in the chat. Set up a link that Turkey. Okay, just announced that they're pulling all their ships out of the Red Sea. So does Turkey know something that we don't? So no, South back to Celtic. Okay, first saying, don't look over here, right? Yeah, look over there. Yeah. Are are we on the eve of something that we all know that's inevitable? So let's come out with the list. Yes. And, you know, I'm not really seeing, at least not yet, but over 900 pages, so there may be more to come, but I'm not seeing much new here yet. And there's still a lot more to come, but not a lot new here. These are all names really we've seen before, except for some of those sort of mid-middle range politicians, mid-level. Yeah, well, for Bill Clinton to be there only for dinner, yeah, okay. This was a sex trafficking island. Yeah. Period. That's all it was. Okay, this is what they did. And they fed young girls to the fucking wolves. And they should all fucking hang. Or in my eyes. Yeah. You're not friends. Was, with, yeah. Definitely. You weren't there for fucking dinner, Bill. Yeah. It was, it's a sex club, international sex. It's a prostitution ring. That's what it was. And with underage girls. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know what? Uh, I watched uh, Molly's game. Okay. Molly was a, a female uh, poker host. Yeah. I don't know if you ever seen it. Uh, okay. She ran some pretty tight games where it was uh, $50,000, $250,000 buy-ins for poker. Right. Yeah. And she ended up getting caught in the end. Right. So people pay memberships. Okay. To go to these islands and play cards and do whatever. Right. Yep. The women. Okay. They pay memberships, yearly mem- memberships be part of this fucking uh this click right it's disgusting buddy it is it makes me sick yes and it's just it's a whole different world right and when you you know that's why they've got it on the island they thought they could do it there um you know without being you know it's secret in a place where they wouldn't uh, be subjected to you know the scrutiny of police and media and everything well, be any is, wiser. this is just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. right it's close to america okay uh, uh 10 minutes away on, on, a, on a airfare from fucking florida to the caribbean right yeah uh, but it's the tip of the iceberg okay you've got peter nygaard and his little fucking fantasy island that was going on there okay what ha- what's happening in world uh in countries where there's no extradition okay it's 10 times worse than it is in America because they know they're not going to get caught. And if they do get caught, nothing's ever going to happen to them. And, you know, Prince Charles or King Charles now holding that emergency meeting tonight. Um, I, I suspect it may be about more than just these public calls for him to step down as King and hand the, uh, the, the crown to his son uh, with these names coming out. I'm thinking it might have, Something to do with this. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know what to make of the royal family. Okay. 
they're disgusting. They have been everything they have. They've looted from other countries for generations. Okay. As for uh, handing it down to, you know, the only one that, that I really like really is Prince Harry. He broke away from it. Mm. Okay. And they're as racist as can be. And what did he do? What did he do? He married a, a half black girl and has kids with her. Okay. Uh, he went against, he went against the Royal family. So, he don't want anything to do with it, so he'll never be king. Even if they asked him, begged him, come back, we'll make you king. We'll make her queen. It's not going to happen. You know, for his, his brother, he looks retarded anyways. I hate using that word, retarded, but he looks retarded. I don't so know. Maybe, yeah, maybe uh, King Charles okay, is probably... Uh, ready to go to war with Iran. Who knows? Well, look over here, folks. They just have, you know, they, they're so, I mean, talk about privilege. They really do have all the privilege, right? They've got all the money and the power. Um, and uh, they do have a job and their job is really to, you know, maintain the integrity of the nation and lead and keep people inspired and lead by example. And, they engage in this kind of activity. It's decadent. It has been corrupt. It is, it is sick. And it's it, been going on since Caliglia days. Yeah. Yeah. It's too right. much. Power. Those the, yeah. yeah. Those who make the gold, make the rules. It's true. Right. Uh, and you're seeing it even in politics all the way around. Right. I seen a video today. Uh, actually, Paul put it up there. You have to find this one. An EV scooter. A guy brought it on the fuck on the uh, subway in Toronto. Rick, you got to bring it up on the screen. Watch what happened. It caught fire. Yeah. And uh, look at the gas is coming out of this thing. How many people got poisoned today in the subway? Oh man. Yeah. These scooters, they're, uh, they are a problem. Hang on a sec here. Yeah. They're, they're a big problem. Yeah. They, the, the lithium, uh, the lithium batteries, right? They yeah. catch fire. You can't put them out. Yes. And watch what happened in the subway. Expect a lot more of this shit to go on. And this was in Toronto, was it? But it's all, that was in Toronto. Paul posted it's a CTV report. Okay. As soon as I watched it, I went, this is our Clean Air Act. Yeah, I'm just also getting some other new information here about, uh, I don't know how new it is, but other info about these documents, the Epstein documents. Um, see if I can find the... Uh, Images from the subway fire. Are you going to save all the big names for later? Yeah, so here are some photos from the uh, fire in the subway. I'll show you these and then we'll go back to the documents. Not such great photos, actually. 
Yeah, there, yeah, there was a video of it fire the fire. So yeah, I'll bring these photos back up. There we go. And I have to bring them up on this window. And here we go. So there's there are these photos. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of smoke in that uh, compartment. You don't want to be breathing that stuff in. That's for sure. No, that's a lawsuit right there. Yeah, look how much smoke is in there. And even if you're just if you breathe that in, even just for a moment, you know that's really toxic stuff. Who knows at the long term? Yeah, I wonder how many people were, were injured. No, no. Imagine that going down, going down the rail and that catching fire like that. You can't get out. Yeah. Yeah. You're screwed. You could keep running from car to car, I guess, but the Toronto subway is pretty packed at any any given time on any day. Yeah, this was Brutal. this was actually on January first is when this fire occurred, eh? That's when it was, I believe, according to this, unless there was more than one. Yeah, this was on the 1st, January 1st. They're pretty brutal. It is brutal. You know, and also the uh, the earthquake in Japan. Yeah, severe, really serious, serious damage there. Um you're not hearing much of that on the news. Eh? It's, it's pretty weird yeah. maybe because it's not war, but look at the destruction from that earthquake. And, you know, looks like Hiroshima. Yeah. Makes Gaza look livable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing you're not hearing too much about is this farmer's protest in Germany. There's, I see that. A, I see that. They're going to do another one, I think, uh, from the 8th until I'm not sure what the other date is, but uh, I've seen pictures from, you know, another recent one and huge, huge lines of farm implements, tractors on highways blocking traffic as they slow roll. Um, very much in the same kind of spirit. Of the, as a freedom convoy, I think. Let's bring in another caller here. Key stand line here, Leo. We've got who is this? Go ahead. Who do we have on the line? Oh, hey, Ricky. Ricky Boy is uh, Celtic Love. Well, welcome to the oh, show. Oh, Celtic Love. Hey, Leo. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, Celtic Love. How are you today? I'm absolutely brilliant. So, I love your chats. I want to make reference to something. Yeah. Why are we not talking about the children who were lost in Hawaii? Everything has gone like left, right, fucking in front of your face, and then back left and right. And no one even cares about the children in Hawaii because we're so worried about our own life. We're so protective over 
are we going to buy eggs tomorrow or are we going to be able to afford a loaf of bread? What happened to the children in Hawaii? I, I don't think people have forgotten about the children. I think there's more s- stories moving faster. Yeah, but if okay. we don't it's get it. It's just trying to keep up. I know, trying to keep up with everything that's going on. If we don't get it, we can't fix it. I know, you're not even hearing any news about Luhana. No, because they wanted to shut it down. They shut it down like two months ago. They went, oh, the war in the Middle East. No longer look at What's going on in Hawaii? The children are not accounted for. We are listening to this bullshit. Not just the children, a lot of people. are being trafficked. I believe it. It, uh, it, I, I can't sleep at night. I am so disgusted that all of us are so stupid to just like, oh, let's listen to this now and we'll be okay. But we're not doing anything about it. I can't do it by myself. There's really nothing we can do about it. It's an American issue. Well, we can. We can say, wake up, people. What happened to the children? Wake up, government. What? Where did the kids go? Stop sitting around on our little fucking laurels, drinking our beer and our booze and whatever fat food you want to eat. But we have to seriously say, no, this can't happen. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Yep. You know, in in response to what you're saying, Wait, um, I apologize. I, no, I'm really okay. upset. No, no, I understand. And um, you know what we can do is, I'll dig into that story and find out what the latest information is and bring that to no, everyone here tomorrow night. Rick, Rick you are a, you are a, a, an investigational journalist, and I respect you for that. I know you, I followed you years ago when my kids were very young. I didn't follow you for a long time because I was too busy with my kids in hockey. Anyways, I would like to know what happened to the children because no one is paying attention. You you know what's pretty crazy, Celtic? I have an uncle who lives in Hawaii. I got an uncle who's married with kids who lives in Hawaii. He's a computer programmer. And uh, we don't talk much anymore because he was for the jibbity jabbity. Okay. And he was all about uh, Joe Biden and Trump was a dump, this and that, right? So he's my own uncle. And I don't talk, and we were really tight growing up. Okay. Uh, he's only two years older than me. And he was, wasn't just like my uncle, he was like my brother. But the divide happened, right? It happened over the jibbity jabs and politics, right? So he won't even talk to me about what's happening in, in, in Luana. Why do you think so, that is, Leo? I don't think anybody's... I, the people are talk, trying to talk about it, but they're being shut down. 
I'm not hearing anything. Okay, I'm not getting but any you know what? I'm not getting I don't under, I don't understand that, Leo, because people come from a soul. We're born with a soul. We are not born just of God. We are born with a soul. And if the soul is taken, then you are you're you're like a murderer or you're you don't have a soul. But most of us are born with a soul. Mm-hmm. This is, this has been a really crazy year for if you look at it for adolescents being killed throughout the world. You got the shit going on in Ukraine. You got the shit going on in Gaza. You got the shit going on in Hawaii. Okay, shit's going on everywhere, and it's a lot of a lot of adolescents that are victims. Yeah, but this, Leo, the shit is being run by people who are evil. The devil, you know, when the devil controls, shit happens. It's not a war from us people who live in our censored universe of I would help a person yesterday you go out you have your website you you go out and help people all the time I help people when I can I don't go out too much because I have mobility issues but at the same time we can help each other you know what I mean yeah 100% yep no, I, I hear Rick, what you're saying. It's not but Rick. You can only, Rick, you can, is not, Rick is not going to save us. He is bringing us together. The stories. Rick is Rick will, the Rick will find center. the stories. He is the king of all kings to make us king all Rick. figure out. Rick will find yeah. the story, I guarantee you, on that. He's going to dig into that. I, I, I will, I'll do my best to get you whatever information I can and uh, and we'll bring it here tomorrow night okay and we'll bring that that story up to date as as much as we can and get as much truth out as we can do you mean about the um lahaina in hawaii yeah lahaina and yeah because that is that has broken my heart ricky boy yeah i i did actually believe that that no one even looks at what happened to them oh i i i have to, to some degree, about a week ago, I actually did briefly mention um, some efforts to, um, to to help people recover there, and I did make some reference to that. And uh, um, I know that some of the children that they thought were missing were actually found, uh, so there was some reference to that. But I'm not—I don't know all of the information, so we'll. I'll I'll do my best to, to get you whatever I can for tomorrow and and as needed we'll we'll continue to look into it, okay? I'll God a, bless you. Yeah, I'll make a point of doing that for tomorrow. Yeah, because I forgot all about it. I actually for, we did talk a little bit on it about it New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. But yes. uh, I forgot all about it really, you know what I mean? It's, no, like, because there's just so much shit being there's so much shit being distracted. Oh, we are. That's the thing. The program. It's all part we, of the program. Don't worry about this. Look over there. That's right. We are distracted, and that's why they keep burying shit on top of shit, and then we got a big pile of shit. Okay, and at the yeah, bottom of that pile is, of shit's probably the most important of all another, the shit. There will be another earthquake tomorrow. Like, look, we woke up on New Year's. What was it? New Year's? I think there was an earthquake in Japan. Mm-hmm. Right. Tomorrow there will be another earthquake. Like, 
wake the fuck up. <laughs> we are right. all supposed to wake up right now. We are supposed to realize that we have been given the opportunity to live in this moment of existence and have the greatest life ever. The people in this chat are absolutely amazing. People that I I communicate with. I don't go I'll ever go into the chat like I do it sometimes. Mouth, you know, I have pissed you off because you, you can be pretty ugly sometimes. But I love you. And I, I love, love you more. I love, I love you more. I love you to the moon. He, and what? I said, I love you to the moon and back. Yeah, well, I love you to the, you know, where you can find snakes that come up and strangle your neck. Well, yeah. hello. Yeah, my wife. We can all my wife love does each that. other. <laughs> yeah, whatever. My wife's my wife, my, my snake. Rick knows. Rick knows I love him. And, you know, this this is an important document dump tonight because it's just the, the beginning of what we hope will be, you know, greater disclosure on all of this and and maybe expose some of these no, problems Rick, in a greater nothing way. Nothing is going to be exposed. You do understand. This list is just about us getting the people on the right to think the right people are fucked up. This is all programmed. There is nobody. I'm on the fucking list because I went to that island. I'm on the list. I was a Google girl. I'm on the fucking list. So now I'm, I'm on the list. <laughs> yeah, I was a, a Google girl on Epstein's island. Come on. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. It, we do have this question to ask uh, of this witness. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein never told you that he knowingly had sexual contact with an underage girl, correct? And Miss Ms. McCauley, objection, that's a lawyer. The witness then says, when I asked him if the accusations were true after I spoke with the police, he said yes, but they lied about their age. So she's saying this witness that Jeffrey Epstein admitted this to be true. Oops, I got to bring that back up. So there's oh, that. Oh, no, Rick, you're a little confused about that. Am I? That's a little confused. Yeah. What do you are. mean? Okay, enlighten me. Because it's not, it's not fact-based. Like, if you look back into Epstein's history, mm -hmm. you will see that he is connected to not only Prince Andrew, but Charles and the Queen. The Queen is the one they won't tell you about. She was also on Epstein Well, Island. we don't know that at all. Um, and I, I'm not going to no, entertain that. No, but we don't that. because it's 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 been it's been redacted. I don't know everything. You won't find out anything tomorrow. Well, there there are, there are no redactions in these documents except save for I think two names. And actually, to help us okay. out with that, Lori's coming on the line here because I know she's been pouring over this document, and I'm glad that you're here, Lori, to help us make sense of what we're 
looking at tonight. Go ahead. What do you what do you what can you share with us? Hey, good evening, Rick. Good evening, Mavericks. I'm having fun. I'm about 200 pages into this document dump. I found a few things of interest. Uh, you know, there aren't any bombshells that I've run across yet. Nothing huge, but Alan Dershowitz, <laughs> he, he's kind of the headline of this whole thing. Um, you know, just on the show tonight, about an hour ago, saw you play a clip of Dershowitz, you know, like yeah. you said so many times that the Epstein documents would prove that he did nothing wrong. But <laughs> what's this? Um, I'll just read you a little bit here. One such powerful individual that Epstein forced then minor Jane Doe number three to have sexual relations with was former Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz, a close friend of Epstein's and, of course, his criminal defense attorney. Epstein required Jane Doe number three to have sexual relations with Dershowitz on numerous occasions while she was a minor, <clears throat> not only in Florida, but also on private planes in New York, New Mexico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. In addition to being a participant in the abuse of Jane Doe number three, and others, it says, Dershowitz was an eyewitness to the sexual abuse of many other minors by Epstein and several of Epstein's co-conspirators. Um, now, this is where it gets interesting because, you know, Dersh, he helped negotiate that agreement that provided immunity from federal prosecution in the Southern District of Florida case, not only to Epstein, but also to any potential co-conspirators. And here's, here's the really troubling part. Dershowitz helped negotiate an agreement with a provision that provided protection for himself, for himself, against criminal prosecution in Florida for sexually abusing Jane Doe number three. So because that kind of immunity would have been controversial if it was disclosed, Dershowitz, along with some other members of Epstein's defense team, the other lawyers, and the government tried to keep that immunity provision secret from all of Epstein's victims and the public, even though that secrecy is illegal. It violates the Crime Victims' Rights Act. Mm -hmm. um, and then it gets worse. It gets worse for, uh, for Dersh. This, I'm going to read you a little bit of some testimony from one of the unidentified victims. She says, quote, I had sexual intercourse with Dershowitz at least Six times. First time when I was 16, early in my servitude to Epstein, she says, and it continued until I was 19. The first time took place in New York in Epstein's home. It was in Epstein's bedroom, not the massage room. She says she was 16. She called Dershowitz Allen. She knew that he was some famous professor. The second time, she says, was at Epstein's house in Palm Beach. Uh, again, at Epstein's Zorro Ranch in New Mexico, in the massage room off the indoor pool area, which was still being painted, she says. Uh, she says also they had sex again at Little St. James Island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And yet again, between Dershowitz, uh, with her and Dershowitz on Epstein's airplane, and says there's a witness, a witness to that. Another girl was present on the plane when that one happened. Um, 
nothing, you know, like you said earlier, nothing incriminating so far anyway for Donald Trump or uh, even for Bill Clinton. You know, in one of these depositions, uh, the girl says, you know, that it was said that Clinton likes them young. But that's all I've been able to find on Clinton, you know, besides his numerous trips that we all know about. Also, nothing about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I was looking. Haven't found anything yet. Mm -hmm. um, interesting that Michael Jackson was around. I did find Michael Jackson in there. Um, someone testified that uh, they met Michael Jackson at Jeffrey's house in Palm Beach, but said that she did not give him a massage. Of course. But if RFK, RFK admitted you, you went there. He, he flew on the plane, yeah, once to Palm Beach and once to South Dakota on what he called a fossil hunting trip. A what? So I, sorry, go ahead. What was that, a baffle hunting trip? Fossils. They were hunting fossils. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah because I was wondering, because he, he's not on the list, but he admitted, but he didn't go to the island. No, he was on he the plane. No, no, Lori, he didn't go to the island. He was no. programmed. Michael Jackson was always programmed. Well, he never went to the island. Well, we need to um, kind of try and stick to the facts and Let's the information in these documents with tonight. What's going on today? Yeah, was uh, Oprah yeah. on the island? Stay in touch with. I don't care about Michael Jackson. His life is fucking done. Let's talk about today. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to With do Oprah here. Was Oprah on Celtic. that island? And, and uh, what we're going to do here is uh, I'm going to kind of trim up the guest list here a little bit so we can get some other people in the queue. Thank you for calling in tonight, Celtic. Really appreciate your comments. And as I say, I promise I'll get you the latest information on Lahaina for tomorrow, okay? I know you will, sweetheart. Okay. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Looking forward to the next call. Okay. Hey, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. Am I still on? You are, yes. I just wanted to clarify that uh, question that uh, Mouth had about RFK Jr. going to the island. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the trips that Kennedy took on the plane were in 1994, I believe, or 1993 and 1995. Epstein actually didn't own that island at that time. So there was no island yet. Uh, so, yeah, Kennedy never traveled to the island. The island did not yet exist. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting to me. They, they talk a lot in these documents about photographs, like naughty photos that, uh, that Maxwell took. Of numerous sexually explicit pictures of underage girls involved in sexual activities, including Jane Doe number three. She shared these photographs, which of course are child pornography under federal law, with Epstein. And it says here the government is aware of and in certain instances possesses some of these photographs. Now, of course, those photographs have not been released. I doubt they ever will be to be honest with you. And then there's also some testimony here, again, referring to photographs. Uh, a witness is being questioned, being asked, other than in the bathroom or the massage room at the Palm Beach home, 
Do you recall any other place in the Palm Beach home where you saw any of these topless photos of women? And the answer was, I remember there being photos everywhere. And the ones that stick out in my memory are the ones, like there was a photo of Jelaine Maxwell with the Pope. It would not surprise me if there were naked photos around, but I didn't retain them in my memory. So then they dig in the questioning a little bit more and say, so when you say that there were photos everywhere, you just mean photos in general? And she answers, yes. They had a lot of photos around the house. Uh, Mrs. McCauley objects, and they ask to clarify, and Jelaine was not topless in a photo with the Pope, right? Just so unclear. And the witness answers, correct. <laughs> Just want to make sure we get that really clear. So even though they saw some, you know, photos around the house of topless women, they don't really specify whether those girls were underage or if they were adults. And no, Jelaine was not topless in the photo with the Pope. <laughs> Wasn't there video too, Lori? Uh, I know they did. Yeah, suppose. Yeah, the video. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to release the videos next. So not that I want to watch the videos. Uh, <laughs> Coming soon to Pornhub. <laughs> no, no, but somebody's going to watch the videos, right? Obviously, uh, videos don't lie. Well, they can make them lie. Yes, I, I heard. Don't know. You know, they say that uh, they say that those archives were in Jelaine's possession, right? And when they arrested Jelaine Maxwell a few years back, um, I, nobody seems to know what happened to the videos after that. Did they find them in her home? Did they find them in a vault or a storage place that she had? I mean, we've never seen those videos. They were not admitted as exhibits at trial. It's like everyone's just trying to pretend that they went missing. Sort of like the Epstein video of his cell, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly, Mal. Yes. <laughs> this is, I don't know, this is going to, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, that's for sure. Because now we, we know, right, uh, the list of names, it's just it's mind-boggling. There's 150 of them on there, and 99% of them are, are what leftists. Oprah Winfrey was supposedly on that island, I heard, too. Yep, I haven't seen her name yet, but I'm only 200 pages into this 900-page tranche. And this is only the first batch of several batches that are going to be coming out on a rolling basis over the next several weeks. Um, But I did find this. This is interesting. Uh, In the 2015 email from Jeffrey Epstein to Jelaine Maxwell, um, it references a underage orgy in the Virgin Islands, ironically enough, that that Stephen Hawking supposedly participated in. Come on. Yeah. Well, he says it's false. This is an interesting email because he's emailing Jelaine. I guess this was after Virginia Dufre filed her lawsuit and they're trying to shut her up. They're trying to discredit her. And uh, it says you can issue a reward to any of Virginia's friends or acquaintances or family that come forward and can help prove her allegations are false. The strongest is the Clinton dinner. And the new version is the Virgin Islands that Stephen Hawking participated in underage orgy. 
So basically what Jeffrey is saying to Jelaine here is, look, I'll pay money to anybody who can prove that Virginia is a liar and that these things never happen. So that's kind of an interesting find. And it is important yeah. to point out that these documents, you know, everything alleged here, they're just allegations, the testimony of witnesses, alleged victims. Um, it's not concrete proof, of course, that any of these things actually happened. Well, Andrew actually paid off that girl, didn't he? Yep, he did pay mm -hmm. off Virginia Dufresne. He sure did. Right. He came so, to a, a financial settlement with her. Right. So that that that, that proves guilt right there, right? It, it tends does. to. It usually yeah, well, does. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it I, usually does. You know, and I don't That's believe right. for a second that Bill Clinton was sitting there having dinner with two brunettes, him and Jeffrey Epstein, and nothing happened. We see what happened Speaking to the last brunette, uh, Monica Lewinsky. You know, he ruined that girl's life, period. You know, she was a, working in the White House, the, the dream job, okay, of her starting off her career as an intern, and we see what happened, right? In the end, they made mm -hmm. her look like the bad person, not the victim. She was a victim. That's right. That's right. Speaking right of Prince Andrew, uh, Jane Doe number three in these documents says that she was forced to have sexual relations with Prince Andrew when she was a minor in three separate locations in London at Jelaine Maxwell's apartment, again in New York, and on Epstein's private island in the Virgin Islands in an orgy with numerous underage girls. So that tends to corroborate, you know, the story about... Stephen Hawking and this underage teenage orgy. How does Stephen uh, Hawking participate in an orgy? Right. I, like you, yeah, I was I, kind they of do thinking it, the same thing. You'd have to do it to him. He couldn't, you, you know, like, like really. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not, like, I don't mean to be, a, I'm not joking. It's like, it's a serious no, thing. Like this is an accusation. He's no longer with us, of course. He's dead, but he 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 couldn't speak. He couldn't. He couldn't. couldn't move. He's move. paralyzed. He's he's paralyzed. Right. So all I can imagine it's is wonder. maybe they would have to, you know, communicate with him, ask for his consent, and then have him consent to, to being touched in some way. But that might be the video I want to watch. That might be the video I, I might I, watch. This is that one no. bizarre. No, this is weird. I mean, the whole thing is weird anyway, oh. but now it's really weird. Yeah. How does Stephen well, Hawking yeah. take part in an orgy? You know. And why would he yeah, even consent? That's what I wondered. It seems Mighty to... Mouse says in chat he could still move his head. Barely. <laughs> uh, this is... Barely. Uh, Barely. I, um, you know... I don't think Stephen Hawkins was involved in it at all. That's there's, very there's no way, no physical way. Like you just said, I Rick, mean, I guess maybe he, he doesn't have victim. to move. He, yeah, I could receive a massage. He doesn't have to move for that. But I guess an orgy that would be that would be challenging. I can't <laughs> see it. I I, I can't yeah. even fathom it in my mind. Unless he was a victim. I. I can I can imagine a few scenarios where you know they would, you know, maybe to entice him to go there. But I I just it's just too weird to to. But you know what? It's a different world for these 
kinds of people, very, very, very wealthy. Well, we're talking about members of the royal family. I mean, Epstein told Jane Doe number three that she was to give Prince Andrew, quote, whatever he demanded and required her to report back to him on the details. Um, You know, Jelaine Maxwell was basically Prince Andrew's madam. And uh, at least that's the allegation. And also the name Jean-Luc Brunel comes up a lot in these documents. We know that Jean-Luc Brunel was close to Epstein. Of course, he was a modeling scout for some of the most prestigious modeling agencies in the world. Uh, and, you know, then there's Lex, uh, Les Wexner, you know, the guy who owned Victoria's Secret, um, who was also very close to Jeffrey Epstein and had been since the 80s. So there was like this never-ending supply of beautiful women coming in. And Jean-Luc Brunel figures heavily in this story. Well, it, it, there's, a, there's a fine line between, not a fine line, it's, it's a definite line between women and children. Now, right. I don't care what men do. You go down to the Bunny Ranch in Vegas and get your rocks off. That's uh, it's legal there to do that, right? But when you got mm-hmm. children, you're, you got children, and you're feeding the children to these men, we got big problems, very big problems. Well, and you know, it's it's interesting that the men supposedly involved, and and some of the witnesses in the documents testify that they were told to lie about their age to the men to make the men think they were at least of age, right? Right. So did the men know? Okay, Rick, you got other callers trying to get on, Okay, especially on. He wants on. And I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time, but thanks, Lori. Thanks, Rick. Get on on with it. Thank you, Leo. Thanks, Leo. I'm going to hop off too, Rick. That's all I have for now. I'm going to hop back into the documents, and I'll keep you posted. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Lori. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Rick. See okay, ya. See Bye, you. Leo. And who do we have up here next? Go ahead. I guess it's on the bed. I got called out. Sorry. <laughs> who do we have on the line? On the bit, especially on. On the bit. That's the one who wants to talk to you. Hey, guys, you guys yeah. have a good night. Okay, thanks, Leo. She. So what? 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 What do you want to say? <laughs> I, I already asked everybody. Why am I mad? I forgot why I was mad. But like, Leo is getting away with a lot of nasty things to say online, and I got in trouble just for saying some things online. You know what I mean? Like. I think that you're giving him a pass when the rest of us are getting whatever. Okay. You probably don't agree with me. I don't recall what it was that you said that was an issue in the past. So was there an issue with you in the past or that I had, did I have an issue or something? Not that I want to, no, I think there was uh, one time I said something, and then that that video, you know, like you you, you keep getting bumped off because off uh, YouTube because 
most of us can't keep our fucking mouth shut. And here I go yapping again. So anyways, I'm sorry, Leo. I was mad at you at first. And, you know, I don't feel mad at anybody anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, it's an ongoing issue. And we're, we have problems tonight with Facebook. We're not on Facebook. We we're banned again right now on one of our YouTube channels. And it's stuff related to exactly what you're talking about. So it's frustrating for me as well. Well, it, it gets frustrating. Sometimes I feel like Leo is talking too much about things that are going to get us into trouble anyways. And, and it, he can come up with some of the most racist things possible that you can get away with. I mean, I live in the country and I don't get away with that. Except I have a friend that every day she tells me that if she ever has to go to a nursing home, she's going to be get kicked out of her own country because she can't keep her mouth shut. Yeah. Well, um, I, 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 I'm not exactly sure how to respond. Um, you don't have to respond. It's is it's a call-in show, isn't it? It is indeed. We call in. We say what we want. I'm it was angry at uh, Leo for a while. I want John to come on and you know make us happy. And uh, Leo's a great guy. I follow him on Facebook. I don't even know why I was mad at him. Well, um... but he's not getting away with a lot of things on your show. Okay. Well, point made. I appreciate what you're saying. And, uh, you know, maybe you and Leo can have a larger discussion about this and come to some sort of resolution and all, yeah, and all, have all, a fight. I'll, I'll continue to monitor here and, and try to keep people <laughs> uh, on the high road. Okay. As much as I can. Yeah. I know. Okay. You are doing a good job. Okay. Well, thank you for calling in tonight. Appreciate it very yeah. much. Thanks for your show. Okay. You guys take care and we'll wrap this up right there. Thank you. Okay, folks. And we are going to wrap up the uh, the show for tonight. I think <clears throat> just before I do, I'll just make one last check to make sure we are not missing anything earth shattering. I don't think we are. I think that we have covered all of the highlights on this first document dump on the Epstein file. Uh, we're also seeing reference here, though, to magician david copperfield in fact you know what i will do before we wrap up for the night i'm going to just skim through i'm getting a little bit more new information over here from another source so let me skim through that we'll come back and i'll share that with you on the other side of this greetings brave mavericks our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. 
We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, and here's another screen highlight from these documents. Screenshot making reference to magician David Copperfield. A witness asked about that celebrity, and it says, have you ever met David Copperfield? The answer, yes. Question, and do you recall when you initially met him? Yes. Can you tell me what that was? Sure, someone called me from the house and said that he would be there, and if I wanted to come and have dinner, then I could meet him. So there's that. Let me see what else we might have here. And that's more about Trump, same stuff. Yeah. So in addition to pictures, photographs, videos, also some references being made tonight to hard drives that the FBI may have access to, that they are not sharing, making public. And that uh, little nugget there about David Copperfield seems to be about the only thing that we we didn't have that is sort of being relayed by some other media outlets tonight. And great work by Lori. Thank you very much, Lori, for sharing all of that with us tonight. Excellent work, as usual. Digging right in and getting us the, the details. So some revelations there, but really nothing terribly earth-shattering. Just some of those mid-level politicians, most of whom don't even seem to be in office anymore, but some important names being revealed as part of this document dump. So those were new to me anyway. Uh, but beyond that, nothing really in there that hadn't been revealed before, except for David Copperfield, just being named. No information so far coming out of those documents that I'm aware of to suggest that he uh, has any kind of guilt attached to him and no evidence so far to implicate even Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, who was not seen on the island, or, uh, you know, some of these other people, no actual incriminating evidence or testimony um, beyond what we are already aware of. So some names placed some people on the island 
in the company of um, of some young women, some pretty damaging information potentially for lawyer Alan Dershowitz. None of that has been proven in a court of law though. So we need to make that very clear as well. This is just preliminary information that has been revealed through this document dump. And we need to be very, very careful and clear that whatever information we're revealing here tonight as part of this is simply that it's just straight up information and any of these allegations or any allegations that may result as a, as a result of, of this document dump still need to be proven in a court of law. If indeed there is any allegation of criminal activity. So with that being said, we will wrap things up here tonight because I think we have covered all of the highlights and I'm sure that we will have a lot more to share with you tomorrow. I will also get that PDF, make it available on the Maverick News website at maverickenews.ca. So you'll be able to download the entire thing there, um, or at least I'll provide a link to wherever you can go to see that. And I'll have that up probably within the next 15 minutes with an accompanying article regarding this at maverickenews.ca. And I'll also post links to that article through our social media platforms. And I'll be back tomorrow night. Thank you, everybody. For joining us on the program here tonight on the Maverick News Channel. I'll be back 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with the programs to defrag your mind. Catch y'all on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.